This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, är så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Yes, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson and their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and I am joined, as always, by Brian Com, the man, the myth, the legend, the fantasy hockey robot, the man everyone's here to hear. I was about to say here to see, but you're here to hear. Brian Com, I already said your name. Say hello. Hi, everybody. We love homonyms, and we're going to try and give as many as we can throughout this episode beginning with this one there there and two no this isn't working it's so nice to have you all here uh what's more important is we are going to have fantasy hockey information and analysis we'll be taking a look at all uh the important statistical numbers to help you predict what is going to happen with a whole swath of players the rest of the season few weeks i feel like you can count on one hand the number of weeks to fantasy playoffs in some format. So it's getting down to crunch time and we hope we can help you uh, help guide you there. Yeah, well, especially because the trade deadline's coming up in a lot of leagues. So we definitely want to help. The plan for this week, we're going to go through some outjuries and some injuries. And then there's like a whole bunch of teams that are tinkering with their lines. So I'm just going to go through every single line change that I was able to find that I found interesting. And we'll talk through who's helped, who's hurt. We're going to come up with a bunch of really deep names of players that might be worth adding. I'm going to ask Brian if you should add this guy. Half of them, he's going to look at me and roll his eyes and say, no way. Half of them, he's going to be like, Elon, that's a good call. This guy's about to pick it up. We're going to go through all of it. I'm very excited. Before we get into it, of course, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. I haven't gone there today. I'd imagine that if I were to go there, it's going to be talking about Randy Carlisle being fired because that's the big news of the day. And that's what Dauber Hockey is all about. Gives you the articles about the biggest news of the day and the fantasy impact. Yeah, it's right there. Fantasy take, latest NHL moves, fantasy take. Carlisle finally gone in Anaheim, so I'm sure they're breaking down which players benefit, maybe which players get hurt. We're obviously going to talk about that as well. Plus, all the tools at Frozen Tools are amazing. I use them to prep a show every week. It's the number one website, DauberHockey.com. But okay, Brian, I guess let's start with this Randy Carlisle news. I actually had prepped the whole show. I was planning on starting by talking about Oscar Clefbaum coming back from his hand injury, but I think we're going to have to start with this coaching news in Anaheim. So Randy Carlisle, he's fired. 
GM Bob Murray is going to take over as the interim coach. I've been seeing some takes on Reddit about how, or Twitter how this might not be such a smart move because Bob Murray is probably going to have his hands full at the trade deadline. Now he has to also manage like managing coaching a team. Anyways, like the Anaheim has been so terrible. Obviously, they can't do any worse unless they botch this trade deadline, I guess. Brian, does this coaching change make you want to hold on to all the slumping stars that a lot of people have decided they're just going to bail on since they've just been so, so bad? Like Getzlaff and Raquel, they actually haven't even been so, so bad, like relative to what people have been saying. Like I've been seeing a lot of people in our Facebook group, like saying like, I dropped Getzlaff, I dropped Raquel. Like Getzlaff hasn't been that bad. He had two assists yesterday. Raquel had a power play assist yesterday. But I was definitely ready to come on and say to forget about Corey Perry. You know, Cam Fowler, we had already sort of said good riddance to, even though he's been on the top power play. John Gibson even has been like a really tough guy to hold. He's actually injured right now, but I think it's just a minor thing. But what's your take? Coaching change, are we resetting or are we still going to assume Anaheim's going to continue to be bad, bad, bad as we go forward? This team hasn't won a game. Like, I think they're, they've lost they've lost a whole bunch in a row. They've only won two since, like, December. It's crazy how bad they've been. So I remember last week when we were talking about the Ducks and I, I tried to drop my, my classic, by the time you hear this, Randy Carlyle won't be coaching. I held back because I definitely thought it was only going to happen in the offseason. But, yeah, it happened. Bob Murray, even though he gave a vote of confidence to Randy Carlyle just a couple months ago, Apparently that was the kiss of death. And now Randy Carlisle is gone. How can he not be like, how can you tolerate, you know, especially when a team wants to make sure they have a winning culture. You know, they, they talk a lot about that. These teams who are struggling and, uh, and it was getting to the point where you just wonder how Anaheim could carry on losing the way they were losing without damaging what they thought was a, a winning culture that they wanted to try and protect. And now that Randy Carlisle has gone, you hope, that maybe there's room for uh, things to get better for all those ducks that you might own. I know I own the entire ducks first line, which was a terrible mistake I made progressively over the course of the season. I, d- I started with none and then I added Raquel and then I doubled down and got Getzlaff and then I tripled down and got Perry in one league. And obviously it's not working out very well um, for what to expect with the ducks. Now that Bob Murray is behind the bench. Well, this is his first time ever coaching so I, I don't know exactly how that's going to play out. I know that it can't be a whole lot worse than what we saw under Carlisle. Like the Ducks were pretty much at rock bottom for a long stretch this year. But I will also note that many of Anaheim's problems belong to Bob Murray himself. The roster is pretty darn thin and it boasts a group of players that just probably is not good enough to truly contend. So it's really interesting to hear Bob Murray say, yeah, I'm going to get behind the bench so I can see what the problem is. Can you imagine if you were like a manager at work and your team like blew it and you fire the head guy on that team because you just want to get a sense of what exactly went wrong and you take his job And you're just like, yeah, I really need to figure out what went wrong here when it was your ineptitude that created this whole situation in the first place. Like, this is definitely a shared responsibility thing. The Ducks struggles this year between Randy Carlisle and Bob Murray. So now Bob Murray has apparently the license. Like, he got a a contract extension. He's going to be GM for a while. He clearly has ownership's trust. And we'll see exactly what he's going to do with that. One thing I'm waiting for is quotes from the players on Carlisle's firing that I haven't seen roll in yet uh, in the time between uh, Carlisle's firing and when we started recording, recording, because the feeling is that Carlisle stuck around as long as he did, because he had the loyalty of Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry uh, going back all the way to their cup run, uh, their cup win back in 2007. So now that Carlisle's gone, I wonder if they're happy about it. Like if they saw it as necessary or if they're like, nah, 
Like this, you got the wrong guy and, you know, they sulk their way through the rest of the season. So we'll, we'll try and look for some secret subtle hints in the quotes they do give to the media in the coming days about the coaching change. So we'll see if this uh, coaching change does shake things up and help the ducks or it doesn't move them anywhere because really they're just a mess and sort of irredeemable at this point. Brian, you know, I'm going to take some issue with what you're saying. Like, I don't know. Is this something you've read or just your opinion about how like the GM Bob Murray has done such a terrible job with this team? Like I look at this team. I feel like he's made some good moves. He got Henrik last year. I think that was a good move. He got Daniel Sprong this year. Like, they've got Getzlaff, Raquel, Kasha, unfortunately got injured. You know, Henrik, I think Nick Ritchie's looked pretty good. Jacob Silverberg. Like they have a pretty strong looking top six. They People used to talk about how Anaheim has this amazing decor. It hasn't changed. Like what happened to everyone talking about how amazingly they've done to get Fowler, Lindholm, Montour, and Josh Manson. A great top 4D. They have a great goalie. People have been talking about John Gibson being in the Vesna race like earlier this season. Like, why are you putting so much shade on Bob Murray? To me, this looks like this could be a good team, a team that I was excited to own their players at the start of the year. They were doing well at points during the season. I'm I'm really hoping that a coaching change if they could like figure out how to use their pieces correctly, can turn these guys around and can make them do better. I'm surprised you're saying that this team is so bad that it doesn't kind of matter who the coach is. So you have Adam Henrique, who was not a good acquisition, signed at almost $6 million through to the end of 2023-24. You've got Ryan Kessler signed at $7 million, or just under $7 million, for three more seasons okay, after but I'm not, this Okay, one. fine. Like, for sure, you could go into the contracts. I'm talking about the team that's on the ice right now. To me, not, it doesn't look like such great. a terrible team. It, to me, it does. You have Getzlaff. You have Raquel. You have Kasha, who thankfully has come up and done well. Yes, the decor is pretty good. Yes, you have John Gibson. That's excellent. But beyond three forwards, maybe four... There's not a lot to like in Anaheim, and they've made some weird moves lately. Uh, like I mentioned last week, trading away Andrew Cogliano in a, in a move that didn't make a whole lot of sense. I just I, I haven't seen anything from Bob Murray to assure me that he knows what he's doing with this team. So coming in as a cold coach, like I wonder if he's going to come into the locker room and say, "Okay, guys, just play." Like, just go out and do your thing, which seems like a classic new coach move to do, especially for someone with zero coaching experience. Like, I just don't think in other coaching chain situations, I have some optimism that someone more qualified or someone at least with a different perspective is going to be coming in and bringing some some recipe for success to a team that just, you know, hasn't had the right mix of talent and coaching. But right now, I just don't know how much talent the Ducks have. I'm not, I'm not ruling <laughs> I don't know, out. I... Like, I'm, Elon, I'm hopeful sure. that Getzlaff and Perry and Raquel, like, things can't get much worse than they were under Randy Carlisle. So things are almost automatically going to get better under Bob Murray. I guess I'm just trying to say that it's it's weird. It's it's a weird situation that he's the one who's going to try and figure out what's gone wrong and that he's going to be the one behind the bench. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with that. I guess we'll have to agree to disagree because we have so much fantasy content to get to. You haven't really answered whether you think it's the, the Ducks players are better or worse to own. It sounds like you're saying we're going to have to wait and see. I just feel like I liked the move to get Daniel Sprong for was like Marcus Pedersen or whatever. Like, I don't know. I, I guess we just have Pedersen to... Pedersen did well. 
I guess I feel like Daniel Sprung, Daniel Sprung has done well. Like, I don't know. I feel like this team looks good. Like, I feel like a good coach should be able to do something with this team. Also, as far as him being like a terrible GM, like they have Troy Terry and Sam Steele that they've drafted that people are saying are going to be really good. Andre Kasha, unfortunately. They, they had all these injury troubles. I remember, Brian, at the start of the Carlisle era, you were like saying, like, I don't want to bank on Anaheim players just because I'm so concerned that Randy Carlisle is such a bad coach. I'm concerned about the Carlisle effect. Now, like, they've done bad, and now you're not putting the blame on Carlisle. You're putting the blame on the team. Like, I feel like, well, I'm curious to see how they'll do without Carlisle. I said that last year and they succeeded in what seemed like in spite of Randy Carlisle as their coach. So like I'm keeping for, I think the effect of coaching is generally negligible on fantasy production. Like aside from a coach having their chosen players and their doghouse players, I don't know that a coaching change, like maybe it'll change morale. Maybe it'll get a few guys going. Maybe it'll make a few players feel like they have something to prove and that'll kick them into gear. At the same time, you figure like these are all professional hockey players. Like it's their job to go and play hockey. And like, of course, mindset is going to affect them. But I wonder just just how much this really moves the needle for them. Again, whatever Randy Carlisle was doing, he stubbornly stuck to and it wasn't working. So I'm all for, like, let's try something else and hope that the Ducks get going. Like, I own the whole top line. I need them to get going desperately. So I'm hopeful, but I'm not, I like, we can't just say it's automatic because of a change behind the bench. Oh, yeah, for sure. I just feel like this team could be good, in my opinion. And we'll wait and we'll see. Alex is saying in the chat room, Carlisle's the Shirelli of coaching. That seems to be the case for me. It is crazy how they didn't seem to change much. Let's get to some fantasy news, though. Okay, so with Anaheim, we're going to say definitely, like, hold on to Getzlaff. Like, I think hold on yeah. to Raquel. Corey Perry, There's I feel no- like you could- I feel like you could probably stream out Corey Perry if you have, like, if you get excited about one of the players we bring up right now. I don't think other people in your league are going to be rushing to grab Corey Perry, though. Just remember, he did get like 57 point pace last season. So uh, wait and see. But, Brian, okay, do you want to move on or do I want to say anything else about what, what I just said about the Ducks players? Well, I think I'll just wrap it up. I think there's really no actionable item you can say about the Ducks players, except if you're in a shallower league and guys like Getzlaff and Raquel have been dropped for whatever reason. I, like, I wouldn't go buying low on them. Uh, in a trade, but I would try and add them out of free agency if they happen to be there. Uh, If you're a Gibson owner, maybe there's a little bit of hope ahead. And as for Corey Perry, I own him in a couple leagues and I am like, I've been wondering what to do. Like if I'm just going to cut ties with him. And I think this coaching change probably earns him another, uh, another few games at least on my roster. Yeah, keep in mind also Anaheim has that great off-day schedule. Like next week, Tuesday and Saturday are packed, and Anaheim plays Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. So even like someone like Cam Fowler, who's done absolutely nothing since coming back from his injury, I'm watching him, right? Like if I could pick him up uh, for free and he does well, like I'm not going to grab him until he does something, but he's someone I'm watching. Okay, next! Outjuries, I want to talk about some players who have come back from injury. We call them outjuries here at Keeping Carlson. I want to start with Oscar Clefbaum. He returned for the Oilers on Tuesday after being out for almost a couple of months with a hand injury. So far, he has definitely not been worth the wait. Unfortunately, he has no points in three games, only four shots on goal over that span. He's had some blocks. That's about it. Perhaps even more concerning is that he hasn't been able to take his top power play spot back from Darnell Nurse. Nurse has continued to play on the man advantage with McDavid, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Dreisaitl, Shaysan. And he, like that's even with Clefbaum back in the lineup. And to Darnell Nurse's credit, he's earned it, right? He's earned that top spot, it seems. He has four points in his last four games, two of them on the power play. So he's helping to get that power play scoring goals. 
Nurse, by the way, he's up to 28 points in 55 games on the season for a career-high 42-point pace. Compare that to Clefbaum, who over the season, he's only pacing for 36 points if he were to have been playing the whole 82 games. So, Brian, how do you see this shaking out moving forward? Clefbaum was a time-seeming droppable even when he was on the top power play. Like earlier in the season, famously, Cam Robinson came on while you were on paternity leave and said how he had dropped Clefbaum in his league because he was, was tired of waiting for him to produce. And then right afterwards, he finally started to heat up before eventually getting injured. He's back. He's not doing anything. He's not on the top power play. The only reason I would be adding him or holding him is because I expect him to get on that top power play again soon. Do you think that's going to happen? Or has Nurse just ghost-bared Clefbaum's Mark Strait? And you know what I'm talking about. Like, you know, maybe Clefbaum went out and now it's over and it's Darnell Nurse's job for the rest of the year. The top power play unit has ghosted Clefbaum so far in his return. What's interesting here is that the door seemed very much open for Clefbaum to step back into his top power play role heading into his return from injury. Nurse had a bit of a cold spell. He had put up just two points in seven games, and then Nurse had a multi-point outing in the last game before Clefbaum got back into the lineup. And that for Nurse turned into a three-game point streak that included two power play points. And I guess that's why we are where we are with the Oilers' top power play unit. There's so many things broken in Edmonton right now. So if their power play quarterback isn't, then why even think about trying to fix it by swapping out Nurse for Clefbaum? Nurse, like you said, Elon has gone full Jeff Petrie with this opportunity, which does make him a must-hold. And I wonder... What this means for Clefbaum's future, remember how many rumblings there have been for the last couple of years about sending Clefbaum away? No, I actually haven't seen any update to those rumblings uh, since Pete Chiarelli's firing as general manager. So I like that used to factor into how we saw Clefbaum's role on the power play, and I'm not sure what to make of that at the moment. I still think that a Darnell Nurse cold spell can lead to Oscar Clefbaum back on the top power play. But there really just hasn't been a cold spell from Nurse since he took over back in mid-December, aside from the one I just mentioned off the top right before Clefbaum came back. So if you are an Oscar Clefbaum owner, I guess you can hold your breath a little bit, but not so hard that you're jeopardizing your spot in the standings or ignoring other viable free agency options while you wait for Clefbaum to maybe, hopefully, take his spot back. Because right now, Darnell Nurse is making the most of it. Yeah, I would say, looking at next week's schedule, Edmonton plays Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. Hold Clefbaum for Wednesday, Friday. You're going to fit him in your lineup. And then if come Saturday, you have an extra D anyways, like you're going to have to be sitting someone. And if Clefbaum still hasn't done anything and there's no indication that he's going to be getting that job back, at that point, I might be ready to drop him, depending, obviously, how deep the league is. But I'm definitely not too interested in a second power play Oscar Clefbaum. Brian, you're talking about those rumblings. Lately, what I've been seeing on Twitter when I search for Clefbaum is people saying, like, there's only, like, four good players on Edmonton, and that is uh, Dry Siddle, McDavid, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and Clefbaum, and, like, everyone else they should get rid of. Like, now it seems like people are loving Clefbaum. Maybe it's because they lost so many games after he got hurt. Maybe people realized how valuable he was to the team. He's playing big minutes. He's just, like, the power play is only a small part of the game. He's playing on the ice. He's probably playing pretty well, or as well as you can play on the Edmonton Oilers, but, yeah, he's not getting the prime offensive opportunities. Speaking of the Oilers and how bad they are, what are they doing with their goalies right now? Like, how? why is Cam Talbot playing so much? He started all three games last week. He was pulled on Monday after letting in four goals on 27 shots versus the Sharks. Then, like, still got the start on Thursday, and I guess it was a smart decision. He did well. He, he stopped 35 of 36 in a 4-1 win over Minnesota. But then he was bad again yesterday. He let in all five goals in the 5-2 loss to San Jose. Like, But it's just so weird because Edmonton signed Mikko Koskinen 
Markkanen to this four plus million dollar a year contract and now they've barely played him like are they trying to showcase Talbot like for a trade is that the reason why they're playing him more or have they actually lost faith in Koskinen already which would just be you know a terrible tragedy but like if they're trying to showcase Talbot it doesn't seem to be working because he's playing really badly if anything he's just showing all the teams how inconsistent this guy is and how much you cannot rely on him to give you a good game so all that said I know you've just made fun of the Anaheim team management. So now I'm going to give you the opportunity in Edmonton. Like, what are they doing? And what do you do as a fantasy owner of Cam Talbot or Miko Koskinen? Or if these guys are in free agency, like, what's your take on the value of these goalies moving forward into the trade deadline and then into the fantasy playoffs? So the most inane take I've seen about the Talbot Koskinen situation, of course, comes from an Oilers uh, mate, like beat writer who said that. Koskinen is signed for the future, but Talbot is still this year the team's highest paid goalie, so he's going to be treated that way. Can you help me parse that? Like, do you understand what that means? Is is the is there logic there? Because it blows. I cannot. It's like okay, Talbot's getting paid the money this year, so he needs to earn it. It's like Brian, your situation, your example you gave of like working in an office. If I'm getting paid a million dollars a year and you're getting paid fifty thousand dollars a year, who's going to get the bigger workload? It's probably going to be me, right? I guess that's. But, what, but what if they? To- but what if they signal that they think moving forward the other guy is going to be better? Well, maybe we go. Maybe Miko Koskinen is like, look, dude, stop giving me so many starts. You're paying me to be a backup. That's what I want to be. Next year, you'll pay me to be a starter, and then I'll play more games. Yeah, this is all about equity, right? Both go. They just want to treat goal. They they want to each goalie to have a commensurate workload to their pay. Okay, Brian. Uh, that, that's yeah. Here's my question to you. Let's uh-huh. say the Oilers right now wanted to trade Miko Koskinen away. How much yeah. would they have to give up just to get <laughs> another team to take Miko Koskinen and this contract? Like, you know how, like, when the uh. Sens were trying to trade Carlson, it was like they were going to include Bobby Ryan just to get them to take Eric. You know, like, or it was like that was going to be the way to get rid of Bobby Ryan and take less return on Carlson. Is that the situation they're already, like, they literally just signed this contract a month ago, and now I feel like this contract is completely untradeable. Like, Koskinen hasn't played much, and when he has played, he's been pretty bad. So it's, it's a really bad situation. But okay, Brian, we got to give some fantasy advice here what do you do if these guys are in free agency or if you own either of these guys what are you doing so first off sorry like oilers fans we know it's been a really rough season so sorry like this is not at you this is just at general and like you know this life and i uh living in ottawa i'm well aware of my own version of it too so please know that we we support you and we want your team to be really good one day um you asked me what to do about the oilers goalies don't just don't like you want to stay away from both of them they are in such poor defensive shape they are better off now that Clefbaum's back and it's been long understood that Clefbaum is one of their best most valuable players but for some reason they were just willing to throw him out uh, for I, I don't know it never totally became clear he just wasn't their guy he wasn't front office's guy they didn't like him for whatever reason um but the Oilers need him to be able to have a fighting chance at keeping out uh, at least a, a couple goals a game or keeping out a couple extra goals a game. Um, if you have Talbot or Koskinen, like I held Koskinen for a few months and I dropped him at the start of last week and I couldn't be happier about it. I should have done it long ago. It is just dangerous if you are starting the goalie for the Edmonton Oilers on any given night because it's just that messy there. Yeah, I'm actually in one league where the top team is so stacked. They're doing so, so well. And 
the owner, he had both Talbot and Koskinen. That was like my one saving grace. Was like, if I play him in a fantasy matchup, I'm probably going to get creamed, but maybe those Oilers goalies will sink him and that'll be my chance. But unfortunately, he just made a trade today, traded both of them for a like a pretty decent return, I think. They got Colin Delia, who I'd rather have than either of those Edmonton goalies whenever they're playing, and Zach Parise. I'm, I'm kind of annoyed at the team that let the top team off the hook and taking their Edmonton goalies. I agree with you, Brian. It's not a good situation. I would obviously look one of them's probably going to go on a run of like two or three good games in a row at some point. Who's no, who knows which one it'll be? And it probably won't last. So it's like keep that in mind if you're holding these guys. As an aside, Elon, is it, I don't know if people enjoy this kind of talk, but is this the situation where you had the person write you and tell them the, the trade they were about <laughs> to make with the team ahead of you and you had to spend time trying to convince them not to? I guess you didn't win that argument. So yeah, it is that league. It is the same person. Luckily for me, he was originally going to make a much worse trade to help the top team. And I talked him out of that, but then he ended up pulling the trigger on this one without contacting me. So I guess <laughs> he knew that I was just going to say no. I also posted in the league chat, hey, everyone, please don't check. Because the guy who had Talbot and Koskinen was like posting me like, everyone, like Talbot and Koskinen are up for grabs. I'm listening to offers. And I wrote in the league chat saying, hey, can we please all not help this guy? Because his team is insane. And I, I, I would prefer if we didn't. But I guess, you know, I guess that just made them not want to talk to me because they know I was going to just try to talk them out of it. It's hard. The mind games and fantasy are, are crazy. Like, I just want to manage my team. I hate, like, the reason why this team is so good. Well, he's a good drafter, but also he's made some crazy trades throughout the year just to really bolster this team. And now it's like, man, if, I, if everyone would have just done nothing, I feel like I'd have a much better chance to it. But no one cares about this. Since we're on Edmonton, uh, we always, when we're on Edmonton, we look at who's playing with McDavid. It's just like kind of the thing to do because that person is bound to get some points. Uh, Ty Ratty actually started the game on the first line yesterday with McDavid and Drysdale, but he was injured in the first period, blocking a Brent Burns shot. Not the first person to be injured by a Brent Burns shot. Uh, it's like Shea Weber. I wonder what who has a, a higher toll of people they've injured with a shot they've taken from the point. Anyway, so Ty Ratty's out. It went off his ankle. Roto World says it doesn't look good, so I have a feeling Ratty's going to be out for a little bit. Alex Chason took over on the top line. He'd already been on the top power play. So once again, just like you know, a month or two ago, we were talking about Alex Chason playing on the top line with McDavid and Dreisaitl and also on the top power play. It's a great spot. He had a power play assist yesterday in the 5-2 loss to the Sharks. Edmonton, like I said, has this decent Wednesday, Friday, Saturday schedule next week. So I would wait until Wednesday, look at the practice lines, make sure that Shason is still there. But if he is, I think he could be a pretty good stream for next week if he's on the top line and the top power play. Do you concur? Yeah, as good a stream as Alex Chason ever is, which is never so reliable, even when he is getting this deployment. So just keep that in mind. Elon, we're going to talk a whole about a whole lot of other third wheel options this episode. I'm excited. You've built a great list of them. I'll assure you that Alex Chason will remain near the bottom of that list in terms of my own priorities. That's interesting because I would say that most people would say the Edmonton top line is the best place to be. Like we're going to go through, like I said, we're going to keep a ranking going of all the third wheels that we bring up and which ones we think are the best ones to stream or add for your fantasy teams. Like even without knowing the player's name, I would generally go probably the one with McDavid, but interesting to say that you're going to probably have Chase on near the bottom. So as we go through, we'll discuss. Actually, the next one that I want to bring up right now is a player that used to be on the Edmonton Oilers. And that's Drake Kajula, who's been getting crap 
cracks on the top line in Chicago. He's actually been on the top line in Chicago for a while. I meant to say he was getting cracks on the top line in Edmonton before he got traded. But Kajula, on this amazing spot with Kane and Taze, he had a goal and two assists versus Buffalo last Sunday. He scored a goal on Thursday. Actually, Chicago played today. I should get that information available. This is a tough one, Brian. I prepared this episode this morning. There's been like eight games today, so there's a lot of updates. So I'm loading it up right now. Chicago beat Detroit. Man, Chicago. They keep scoring goals. I, Brian, you just said on our Facebook group last week that you have no faith in Chicago, which surprised me because they're on this great winning streak and they keep scoring. I guess beating Detroit today doesn't do too much. So Okay, so Kajula, no points, two shots, four hits. That's the other thing about Kajula. Even when he doesn't get you points, if your league counts hits, he's helping you there regardless. Anyway, Brian, at this point, who's more appealing to you? Let's start the ranking here. If you were going to stream either Drake Kajula or Alex Jason, the guy playing with Kane and Taves, or the guy playing with McDavid and Dreisaitl, who would you prefer? So now I'm wondering if I sold Shayson short. Like, I just have a, you know, like, if you've been listening to the show long enough, that I never jump. Like, he's the guy I'm most unhappy to see in such a great position. Or maybe not most, but he's one of the guys I, I would just wish would go away and not keep getting these turns on the top line because I feel like someone else could do so much better with them. Though he does have five assists in his last seven games, only 12 shots. Uh, between him and Kajula, I think Drowned Kajula is probably the guy I want. Do you think that that'll catch? I don't think so, but I like it. It's a good try. By the way, Brian, do you want, before we continue, do you want to take back this thing you wrote on Facebook or are we going to go with it? Like you, you already said earlier that you had no faith in Philly. They have no faith in Arizona. Now Stop you're go- throwing the Philly thing out there. Okay, forget the, about the, the Philly the thing. The Philly, I was, I, was, I was deeply concerned. I was gravely concerned, but I didn't doubt them the same way that I do Chicago. And okay. yes, the way I still do Arizona to some extent. Chicago, I, I, I don't believe in. Kajula himself, like, I just want to, you can ask me in a minute, but I just, like, he and Shiesan are not terribly consistent. Um, Kajula's been playing with Patrick Kane for six, seven games now and is only pointed in two of them. Uh, one of them happened to be a three-point outing, which is why he's got our attention, why his totals look great over the last little while. But Kajula, even if you do go for him, he's just not someone you can count on for points on a regular basis, even while playing with Patrick Kane. But the reason I prefer him over Shiesan is that you can count on Kajula for some shots and hits. He's been picking up more of each of those things now that he's seeing 16 and a half minutes of ice each night in Chicago, which is a few more than he was used to seeing in Edmonton. And that's what makes Kajula an interesting guy to hold because he can fill those cats for you even on nights when he doesn't put up points. And uh, that's why I like him. I'll also say Patrick Kane looking about as dangerous, maybe even more so than McDavid these days. So why not go for his third wheel? Yeah, Patrick Kane has been insane. We've already spent like the last two episodes drooling over all these goals that Chicago is scoring. Kane has 32 points in his last 15 games. McDavid, only a paltry like half, one and a half points per game lately. Patrick Kane's (laughs) over two points per game lately. And in fact, McDavid hasn't had a three-point game since January 10th. And Patrick Kane has had two four-point games and a five-point game since then. So, I mean... sad. McDavid's really got to pick up the pace, it seems like. So, yeah, I'm not going to bring up again, like, Taves and Kane and Dylan Strome and all these guys who are doing well, Eric Gustafsson. Like, you should have gotten them when you had the chance. It's definitely too late now. I'm going to throw in another random Chicago player who's doing well that we haven't mentioned in a while. If you could use a defenseman, Brent Seabrook is doing really well. He got another assist today on the empty net goal. Before today, he had a goal and five assists in his previous eight games. He gets, like, really nice peripherals, like, decent shot and block numbers. 
once in a while, you know, at least like one hit a game. Three of his five assists have actually come from the second power play. So that's not even without Patrick Kane on the ice, Chicago's still scoring goals, power play goals. I actually just added Brent Seabrook in a really deep league, like really deep for defense, but the highest percentage on defensemen available now are like Orlov. Uh, Shattenkirk is there, which is funny, but this guy just can't get points no matter what. Uh, Hampus Lindholm. So I'm curious, like, Brian, do you think Brent Seabrook's going to be the type of guy that I'm going to be holding all year? Or do you think he's, you know, it's a current hot streak that's going to totally slow down? It just it just seems to me like one of these situations like you talk about with Calgary, the goals keep coming. Everyone who plays a lot of minutes is going to be getting in on them. Right. But this is a one man show right now. And there's actually some stuff I was reading recently. I wish I'm sorry, I can't credit for where I saw it. But that Patrick Kane, uh, for as good as he is offensively, the defense while he's on the ice is so poor that it's it, – I can't remember if it said it was a net loss or nearly a net loss generally um, if he's producing at levels reflective of his underlying numbers. So um, what am I trying to say here? That Chicago probably is not going to keep scoring as many goals as they are, which means Seabrook isn't going to get in on them. If you want Brent Seabrook, you're looking at his peripherals and an occasional point. It's nice to see him relevant again, but I don't think this is the start of a new trend. Okay. I mean, the trend has been going for a couple of weeks now. Right now, I would say, like, I agree with you that don't grab Seabrook and expect him to be like a 50 point defenseman moving forward. But I like him as an ad right now. If you need D and he's sitting there and, you know, you're used to just looking at his name as I think you just did, Brian, like a lot of people do, you know, like, oh, Brent Seabrook. No, he's done. Forget about Brent Seabrook. Like, he's getting points lately and I would jump on it. Like, me personally. Yeah, I would just. Like, I would be careful about relying on anything in Chicago to continue right now. This is not the team they are that yeah. they like on this huge streak right now. This yeah, is Patrick Kane. Yeah, Patrick Kane probably won't keep up getting two points per game on average. That would be pretty crazy. Uh, another interesting thing on Chicago is Cam Ward won today. He had a good game, 43 saves on 45 shots. Classic Cam Ward. Once a year, it seems like he goes on a run. He's now, I think, won four games in a row. Every once in a while, he goes on this stretch of wins and then he'll completely fall apart. So yeah, I wouldn't bank on Cam Ward keeping this up. Not even, I won't even say rest of the season, like for the rest of the month. But right now, if you need a, a goalie who's winning games, like Cam Ward is on a run and I've seen him go on runs before. You just never know when it'll end. But, you know, Colin Delia was was doing pretty well himself. But right now it seems like Cam Ward is getting the majority of the starts over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Brian, okay. Actually, before we move on to our next outjury, why don't we take a second to thank a sponsor for this week's episode, which are our friends over at SeatGeek. This craziness happening in Chicago right now, you might want to, if you're near Chicago, now would be the time to go to a game because you're likely going to see some goals. And if you want to get tickets to that game, why not use our friends at SeatGeek? Because generally getting tickets online can be so complicated. There's all these sites. Who knows which ones are reliable? I'll tell you which one's reliable. It's freaking SeatGeek, okay? They pull millions of tickets into one place. You can easily find the seat you want for the price you're willing to pay. As you know, there's nothing quite like being there in person. SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. You could go to the site and go to the specific event that you want to look for tickets for and then sort the tickets by value to see what are the best deals you're going to get. You could obviously also sort by price. You could also just go to the site for like a specific city and just see what's going on. I like to take out my app sometimes and see what's going on in a given city. Like Brian, we're, I'm, we're talking about Chicago right now. Let's say you're in Chicago. You obviously want to go to a Blackhawks game. You can see the Blue Jackets at the Blackhawks for less than 100 bucks, February 16th. Or if you want, you can go see a concert. Brian, why don't we keep our game going of you trying to guess which concert is more expensive. Brian, try to guess which one costs more. You could either see Elton John or you can see... Hmm, who do we want to do here? Elton John or Michael Buble. Which one do you think costs more? <laughs> uh i don't know they probably draw from like a not so dissimilar demographic 
I am going to say the Elton John tickets are more expensive. Have you gotten any of these right yet, Brian? Oh, no. Am I wrong again? <laughs> You're wrong again. 218 uh. for the cheapest ticket to see Michael Bublé on March 17th. Or you could see Elton so, John in the same stadium for $147. I have a theory. Yeah. I have a theory. Yeah. It's a... Uh, I don't know if my theory works. I was going to say people who have the best tickets for Elton John don't want to sell them. Only the people with crummy tickets for Elton John want to sell them. That makes sense. Is that a... Yeah. It's possible. Like, I would pay more to see Elton John. Yeah, Michael Bublé is probably not as much... The t- like, I know you, Brian. Like, you're not into the Mike- Michael Bublé. You want to hear the classics by Elton John. For sure. I get that. But a lot of people... Michael my dad Bublé would- sings the classics. I think my dad would rather see Michael Bublé. But anyway, uh, so Seeking, you could go see Bublé. You could see John. You could go see the Blackhawks. And you could see all of these people for even less than the price that is being advertised on the website just because you listen to Keeping Carlson. Brian, why don't you tell our listeners how? Right. Yeah. Cheaper than the advertised price by using our promo code, which is keeping. All you need to do is download the app or head to the website, uh, the SeatGeek app, that is, of course. Enter the promo code keeping and you will receive $10 off your very first purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Yes, we do. In I have I'm actually I have a room in the back of my apartment with all the CQ. It's not even funny. Why am I doing this? Okay, let's get back to outjuries here. Corey Schneider returned to the Devils on Thursday. He actually had a great game. I was so surprised. I was so sure. This is why fantasy hockey is so hard. I would if I was playing like daily fantasy that day, I definitely would have stacked for the Islanders because I would assume that Corey Schneider was going to blow it. But no, he played really well. He lost two to one in a shootout. So only let in one goal. He stopped twenty seven of twenty eight. There was a quote from Schneider after the game saying. I felt like I was moving better, more athletic, more competitive. All those things that I think were probably lacking for the last little while. I'm hoping this is a repeatable thing going forward. So I always like to hear that. I don't know how much there is to read into it. Similar to the Corey Perry thing. Or like he's coming back stronger and more healthy than he was before. So he should do better. Anyways. Who knows? He wasn't as good in his next game. He played yesterday, 4-2 loss to Minnesota. He led in all four of the goals. The, here's something really crazy. Corey Schneider still hasn't won a game this season. Like he's 0-6, 2-2. And it's actually crazier than that. He hasn't won a regular season game since December 27th, 2017. So over a year, like if you remember last year, Keith Kincaid took over as a starting goalie. And I guess Schneider couldn't even get a win as a backup. He ended up coming back in the playoffs. I think he won like maybe a playoff game. But yeah, no regular season wins for so long for Corey Schneider. Brian, is Corey Schneider going to win a game at some point this season? Do you think? Because it looks like he might be the starting goalie, which is actually something that I had prepared myself to say going into today. Though I am seeing that Keith Kincaid had a very rare good game himself today the devils beat the hurricanes three to two and keith kincaid stopped 33 of 35 shots so a good outing for him in my opinion the best goalie in the devils organization that i've seen is Mackenzie blackwood but he's currently in the minors and it seems like at least until maybe something happens at the trade deadline it's going to be Corey schneider and keith kincaid manning the net do you think this is going to be the type of thing where they're going to split starts or do you think they're going to give schneider another chance as a starting goalie and see if he can you know is healthier and more competitive and more athletic like he said would you add any of these people out of free agency, like Kincaid or Schneider, if they're available? I guess it's a similar question to the Edmonton situation. It seems like you don't want any of these goalies, but they might be out there. And in some leagues, it's hard to find a goalie that's going to play you some games. It's not so different from the Edmonton situation, but I feel like it's flipped where instead of in Edmonton, where you have two goalies who are sometimes okay playing behind a shell of a hockey team, 
in New Jersey, you have two goalies who seem totally unreliable playing behind a team that can probably salvage games here and there. Uh, So as to whether you want Schneider or Kincaid, I'm not really all that interested in either one. Like you said, Elon Kincaid had a good game today and the Devils were badly outshot by Carolina. So that means that he sort of uh, earned them the win. He kind of helped them steal one today. uh, And that's why I guess the job remains an open competition. I feel like Forgive me if I'm wrong or correct me if I'm wrong. Do both if I'm wrong. But I feel like Corey Schneider has said this before. Like he's come back from so many injuries and he has said something to this effect at least one time. So good for him. I'm glad he came back, had a really great game followed by a not so great game. Um, But none of these guys having one good game means anything to me. We've, We've seen no consistent good play from either of them for so long now that you really just can't count on them anytime you put them in nets. If you are, you are clearly in a dire situation. So that's another tandem uh, that I would really just avoid both guys. Okay, Brian, I'm just going to mess with you. You have to pick one of these goalies to hold on your fantasy team for the rest of the year. Any goalie on Edmonton, any goalie on New Jersey or Cam Ward? Who do, who do, who do you take? <laughs> Colin Delia. Okay, you're taking Delia just because at least he can't blow your save percentage at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I think I would go. Uh, I think I would go Koskinen, but it's really like it's a it, what an awful choice. Who would you pick? Uh, it is a it is an awful choice. I don't know. Maybe Cam Ward just because at least Chicago scores a lot of goals, uh, but he might not be the starter for very long. Like Delia is probably a better goalie. By the way, uh, this game against Carolina, I didn't plan on talking about Carolina or Florida again. I feel like we've been talking about both of these teams every single week ever since uh, both of them. Like you know, Florida got Trocheck back, and Carolina got. Uh, who was it? Nino Niederreiter in the trade. And then we kept on talking about Niederreiter and Frank Vitrano. Like both of those guys keep doing so well. Like Niederreiter had two assists today again. And he's like, one of them was a power play assist on a power play goal by Tara Vine and assisted also by Ajo. So it looks like Niederreiter was on the top power play. This guy, if you didn't add him yet, just, just add him. We're not going to talk about Carolina today, but yeah, go and grab Nino Niederreiter. Oh yeah. I still want to talk about the devils. Taylor Hall still out. Like uh, it just it just continues to go on. We'll have to wait and see how long it's going to last. Nico Heischer had a couple good games over the past week, but was pointless in three going into today. Actually, all the top line I was going to say today about how the New Jersey top line has really slowed down with Taylor Hall out. But actually, Heischer had a couple assists. Kyle Palmieri had an assist. Marcus Johansson had two goals. Actually, three assists for Heischer today. Overall, though, okay, forgetting about today's game. Would you say it's time to consider these guys snoozers? Like, is there anyone on New Jersey that you can really rely on to help you in fantasy right now while Taylor Hall is out? And it doesn't seem like he's coming back anytime soon. Like, news came out, the classic, like, uh, we're not planning on shutting him down for the season, which I think I talked about last week, where I was like, that very much concerns me. Like, why are you even (laughs) talking about that as an option? So, yeah, I'd be very concerned about Taylor Hall potentially not coming back. And I don't know if I'm going to be... I have Kyle Palmieri in one league. And again, don't make fun of me because I know I said what I said before. But as of now, I'm not so sure I'm going to be holding Kyle Palmieri all the way through my fantasy playoffs. I have a feeling he's going to become a stream player for me because how many points can you expect for him to get on this team which doesn't score many goals? And, you know, if anything, I'd want to have... Uh, who's that guy that on the Devils that everyone has and he keeps getting points somehow? No one knows how or why. Blake no Coleman. Blake Coleman. Yeah. Who would you rather have between Blake Coleman and Kyle Palmieri at the moment? Well, still Kyle Palmieri, but you're right that Blake Coleman seems like the next best viable option, if not equally viable option. Only three Devils forwards are above a half point per game since Taylor Hall went out. They are Kyle Palmieri, Blake Coleman and Travis Zajac. 
and both Coleman and Zajac both barely peaking their heads above a half point per game. So it's a rough time to own any New Jersey Devil. It's pretty, pretty clear now why Taylor Hall deserved the Hart Trophy last year. He's probably as valuable to the Devils as McDavid is to the Oilers. So uh, you are very concerned about any of the Devils forwards getting any kind of production without him on the ice. I'm a Palmieri owner, but I've actually been trying to sell high on him for like three months. And his name just doesn't carry the marquee value. So I think if you do own him, good luck. Let me know what you can get back for him if you do manage to sell high to someone who doesn't realize what's been happening for the last month. Actually, no, I wasn't really planning on getting into this, but I'm looking at the Devils lines for today, and they shook things up. They had Palmieri playing with Blake Coleman and Travis Zajac, and then his share with Marcus Johansson and Jesper Bratt for at least the majority of the games. That might be something to watch. Blake Coleman, by the way, I should mention, he only has two points in his last six games. And actually, that was before today. He's actually on a one, two, three, four, six-game pointless streak. So he had two points seven games ago against Pittsburgh. So maybe the Blake Coleman thing is over, like uh, Patty's saying in the chat rooms. Forget about Blake Coleman, but maybe, like we're saying, maybe you're going to have to start forgetting about all these New Jersey guys. Like, I really like Nico Hischer. He's going to be a really good player. But yeah, if he's going to be playing on a line with Marcus Johansson and Jesper Brad, I don't know how many points you can expect. I don't think we're going to be seeing a lot of these three-assist games. Brian, let's go to another outjury now. Let's go to Montreal, a happier place. Everything is awesome in Montreal right now. He returned to the Habs yesterday after being out for a month with a neck injury. Great return for Andrew Shaw. He scored a goal, and he picked up a power play assist in the 4-3 overtime loss to the Leafs. Uh, He lined up with Domi and Tatar on the second line, so Shaw, Domi, Tatar. Also, Andrew Shaw saw power play two-time with Domi, Gallagher, Petrie, and Mike Riley, so a pretty nice-looking second power play. They're putting some good players there. If you recall, Brian... Andrew Shaw had a great run earlier in the season when he was playing on a line with uh, Druin and Domi, which was the top line. And his two points yesterday actually brought him to 26 points in 37 games on the season. That's a 58-point pace. Do you think there's any chance that Andrew Shaw could keep up a pace like this moving forward and be a 55-plus point guy for your fantasy team? Is he on your radar in any of your leagues? Or do you think now that he's not playing with Druin, like you don't even care that he's on the second line, there's no way he keeps this up? So I'm not going to take away from Andrew Shaw that at least he seems to legitimately be more involved in the offense this year than he has been really at any other point in his career. And it's, of course, nice that Shaw has found himself in a top six role, a little less fortunate now that he's away from Druin. But in any case, with or without Druin, every single marker of Shaw's uh, potential variance is screaming unsustainable. And it says something that that level of fortune where every marker of variance is working in Shaw's favor still only brings him to a 58 point player. Like I'll grant that Andrew Shaw has never seen deployment as consistently good as he's seeing in Montreal this year, but still in his career, I'd have only ever said that he had upside for 50 points and that's upside. Like I would have suggested 35, 40 points is where he really belongs. Andrew Shaw's got these high point totals because he got in on some of that early season magic in Montreal where he and Max Domi and Jonathan Druin to some extent were uh, scoring over their heads. So, I mean, Andrew Shaw is on my radar to the extent that anybody doing this is going to be on my radar because I'm not just going to flat out ignore what somebody's doing but I'm not going to make a big play to add Andrew Shaw. And if I owned him, I'd be really excited that he came back strong and would try and take advantage of that and sell high. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Like, Andrew Shaw is definitely someone that you should have your eye on in free agency if he's available, but I agree with you. Like, he's not going to keep up this pace. That would be pretty impressive, especially away from the top line. Though, they look to have two pretty good lines. Brian, I I don't know if you're trying to big-time me here, how I said Druin, and you're saying Druin, like, giving me the the French accent. Are you doing that because Mathieu is here in the chat room and you're trying to impress him? 
I just want to impress all our French listeners. Although, uh, let's uh, I'll go to nhlnames.com while you while you ask me your next question and I'll share everybody the true pronunciation of Jonathan. What is it? It'll turn out to be something crazy like Droon. The I is silent. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? Okay. Uh, I want to talk about the Habs some more. I'm actually going to deploy my team ranking question of the week on the Habs. They have a bunch of intriguing forwards right now that along with Carey Price and Weber and Petrie, they have the Habs likely to make the playoffs, which is not something we were expecting going into the season. They're currently third in the Atlantic, seven points ahead of Carolina, who is the top team not in the playoffs at the moment. Carolina, obviously, that's a big, tough loss for them today against the Devils. They really needed that win. But yeah, that just makes it more likely that Montreal will be able to make the playoffs. So I'm going to give you the options of who I think should be involved in the rankings and give you some background on each of them. And I'm going to be very interested to hear how you would rank these Habs forwards in terms of who you would want on your fantasy teams moving forward. So number one, obviously, is going to have to be Jonathan Jouin. He's on fire lately. He had a four-point game versus Winnipeg on Thursday, following a three-assist game versus Anaheim on Tuesday. He's up to 46 points in 56 games on the season and trending way up. Like, even if you don't want to count the three-assist game versus Anaheim, because against Anaheim, everyone gets a bunch of points, this guy's still having an amazing season. There's a very good chance he joins the 70-point club this year, in my opinion. He's at the 67-point pace right now, but that is obviously trending upwards over the past month. Okay, so Drewan. I imagine you're going to put him number one. You got Brendan Gallagher, who maybe is one you could compare with Drouin because Gallagher scores those goals and takes those shots, right? He's definitely enjoying life on the top line with Drouin, something he got, I guess, about a month ago when he and Max Domi switched places. So Gallagher has three goals and three assists in his last three games. But again, three of those points against Anaheim. So forget about them. He's had some cold stretches along the way, but is on pace to match his 31 goals and 54 points from last year. So you could let us know if you think he's going to be the same as he was last year, if you see any reason to expect him to keep going up now that he's on this nice top line. Okay, then you got Max Domi. Brian, I gave you credit for calling his slowdown around a month ago. Like you said, while Max Domi was on that hot streak to start the year, you were like, it's not going to keep up all year long. Like you should try to sell high on Max Domi. And then he did slow down for a while. And I was like, Brian, clap, clap, clap. Like, well done. You nailed it. Now, I don't know. Do I need to take it back? Because he has 10 points in his last 10 games. He's doing well again. He's doing amazingly. He's on the second line, like I said, with Sean Tatar. Are you seeing anything in his recent run that makes it look more sustainable than the last time he was on a hot streak? Or are you once again going to say that you don't expect him to keep it up? He's currently on pace for 72 points on this season, a higher point pace than Jonathan Druin. Okay, next, you got Thomas Tatar scored yesterday. He's got seven points in his last eight games. Obviously, it's helping that he's playing with the red-hot Max Domi. And in fact, that's seven points in eight games. That's not even fair to him. I'll bet you he'd have a lot more. He actually missed that game against Anaheim with an illness. He missed out on probably like three or four points that he could have had. He's on pace for a career-high 60-point season. So Thomas Tatar definitely doing really well. Andrew Shaw, we've already discussed, obviously, in the conversation. Then maybe a dark horse, Jesperi Kotkaniemi. He is doing so well. He had a four-game goal streak finally broken yesterday versus the Leafs. He's actually the youngest player in NHL history to score four ga- a goal in four games in a row and even more crazy i saw okay i saw a lot of stuff about him i was looking into this young guy who's the youngest player in the nhl right now i've confirmed that on his wikipedia page apparently is very is the first player in the history of the world to be born after the year 2000 and play in any of the four major sports leagues in north america so he was the first millennial actual millennial born in the new millennium to play professional sports that's pretty crazy so this guy is awesome he's so young he's doing well how is he going to rank with all these other Habs players Okay, so you just asked me about nine questions about five different players, and I'm going to like really rewind and go back to the very first thing you said about Jonathan Drouin, about how he is trending up over the last month. Elon, 
if I asked you how Duran was doing before February 3rd, so we're recording this on February 10th, so like a week ago, do you, what would you have told me without looking at his numbers? Uh, I thought he was doing well. You're saying he was slumping then? He had 11 points in 23 games over the two months prior. So he has had a good week, Elon. And you're calling that trending up over the last month. Good bet to hit 70 points. The only reason that he's within striking distance of 70 points this year is because of that early season run that he and Domi and Shaw all went on together where they collected the large majority of their point totals to date. Good for Drew and way to go. Like going on this little three game run now. Let's see if he's able to keep it up because he hasn't been no more consistent than any other have this year in terms of starting strong, then sort of fading. And that's why I'm going to say, I don't think Duran is going to get to 70 points this year. And I also still wouldn't be so sure that I have him ahead of Brendan Gallagher. It's probably even, I guess Duran is probably the one who's going to be looked to more often. Like he's the one that the Habs want to be their offensive star. And I think that'll, sh- uh, they'll want that to bear out in his numbers and his deployment. So Duran Gallagher, they're above the rest. And then Elon, there's a name that you didn't even include in this ranking. Someone who's been better than Jonathan Duran for like the last couple months, Philip Dano. Oh, I'm that oversight like i definitely know that he's on the top line with gallagher and drew and he should be there I, brian i you know it's the morning i'm still drinking my coffee while i'm prepping this so obviously uh phil dano needs to be there he's been great lately yeah he has 25 points in his last 25 games going back to december 13th so uh he has like 12 more points than Jonathan Duran in the same span between December and these last three games that Duran went off. Uh, So really good for Phil Dano point per game player for like two months. Now I've mentioned this before. I feel like you often forget Dano. In fact, I streamed him onto my Cupfold team and you were like encouraging me to drop him pretty quickly. I've held because he's a great third wheel. So we're talking about all these third wheels. I don't think we're going to be talking about, Anybody I would rather have in my lineup than Phil Dano. So if he's available as a third wheel for you, you should go get him. Uh, okay, so I would go uh, Drouin, Gallagher, Dano, and then Domi, Tatar, Shaw, and Kotkaniemi. Maybe I put Kotkaniemi ahead of Shaw, um, but it's really purely about who's going to see the most opportunity. The Haps are weird in that they seem to be actually pretty good as a team, but they have all like these unsustainable scoring numbers have been rife throughout their lineup most of the year. Um, who like, including, like I said, for Druin, who looks to be more like a 55, 60 point guy than a 70 point guy. Like, it's really lovely that maybe he stepped up his game a bit. He can be a 60, 65 point guy. That's great. But 70 points seems like a stretch. So, uh, just to summarize my Habs rankings one last time Druin, Gallagher, Dano, Domi, Tatar. And then I'm pausing because I don't know whether to put Kotkaniemi ahead of Shaw or not. I'd put Shaw ahead just because he's on the second line and Kotkaniemi's on the third line. But Brian, I'm actually... Okay, first of all... Okay, so you're saying Phil Dano as the top free agent if if he's available and you're comparing him to so far Shason and Kajula. So, okay, we'll keep that in mind as we go forward with the third wheels. Uh, I'm surprised that you have him over Max Domi. Like, I like Phil Dano. And when you say that I was like, encouraging you to drop him, like, don't make it seem as if I messaged you out of the blue and was like, hey, why do you have Phil Dano on your lineup? You should drop... Like, you were asking me, like, who should I drop to add someone? And I was like, I think maybe Dano. Like, okay, so let's just cool it right there with that. 
But yeah, I'm surprised you have Dano over Domi. I would definitely have Domi ahead of Phil Dano because I feel like Dano could easily get shifted around in the lineup. Well, I think that Domi's going to continue to get a good deployment and he's doing so well lately as well. Uh, but the rest of it, I agree with. I would say maybe Dano, Tatar, Shaw, Kakaniemi to round it out. Fun team. What a fun year for the Habs. They're going to make maybe make the playoffs. What if we see them against the Leafs in the first round? Oh my God. Wow. Blank. Could you imagine? Wow. But Boston's also going to, you know, Boston, the reason why they're not there right now in the top three is because they had all that time with Bergeron missing. That, that's the way I see it. Like Bergeron is a big part of that team. I have a feeling they're going to bump Montreal at some point, but I'm, I, I definitely could see Montreal getting into the wildcard spot. Uh, okay. One last outjury. Nothing really to say. Kyle Turris is back. He's done nothing in the two games since returning to Nashville. Was also doing nothing before the injury. He hasn't been fantasy relevant for a little while. We don't care about Turris anymore, right? Like he's there. Maybe keep him in mind if you want to stream someone in. He's still second line center that has offensive skills but he's not someone on my radar right now. Yeah, I mean, Kyle Torres seems like a really nice guy, and we want the best for him, but he is streamer territory for your fantasy team. Elon, before we leave Nashville, can you name the four forwards on their top power play right now? (laughs) I mean, normally I can. It's normally... You you can definitely name three. Okay, Johansson, Arvidsson, and Forsberg. Who's the fourth? Okay, so it's I'm assuming not Craig Smith. No. Kyle Torres, Fiala... Sissons? No. Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to keep guessing. Let me know. Recent Nashville Predators acquisition, Brian Boyle. Oh, yeah. I I didn't even write him down. I didn't think it would be so fantasy relevant that he got traded. But (laughs) I guess if he's going to play on the top power play, he was playing on the top power play in New Jersey and not doing much, though. So you can't expect too much, right? No, you can't expect a whole lot, even like while gifted that spot on the power play. Weird acquisitions for the Predators heading into the playoffs, uh, both Brian Boyle and Cody McLeod, uh, especially the McLeod one. In any case, if you want to stream and you're the sort of person who adds like Nick Foligno because he's on the Blue Jackets top unit, then maybe Brian Boyle is somebody you want to look at. Yeah, top power play unit, of course. Felino's not seeing that top line in Columbus oh, for sure. sorry, yeah. Matthew, by the way, the Habs fan Matthew here in the chat room is being like, can you give Weber some love? Like, I just named every single Habs forward. Like, what do you want? This isn't a whole Habs podcast. Like, a lot of the teams I got to talk about, Matthew, take what, you know, it's like, don't bite the hand. We're doing, I did this for you. Okay. Like, it's enough. Yes. Shea Weber is doing very well. It's obvious. What what type of, oh, Brian, is is Shea Weber going to keep doing well? Brian will say, yeah, he will. Okay. If you would yeah. like to come join us live in the chat, you can head to keepingcarlson.com slash live and be chewed out by Elon yourself. It's a really fun experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Matt is having a nice time, but now he's going to take care of his baby. So uh, good luck with all of that. And uh, let's go to some injuries now. Probably the most fantasy relevant injury last week occurred on Monday. Alex Edler lost his balance and hit his head on the ice versus the Flyers. Apparently it was a very scary looking injury. I don't know why I always say the word apparently. I saw it. It was a scary looking injury. I think I'm saying it because Bo Horvat said in an interview like he was very scared when he saw it. Anyways, it actually turned out not to be as bad as people thought it might be. He sustained a concussion, which is of course bad. Uh, last we heard though, he was going to be out at least a week. And usually when you say at least a week, it means maybe not that much longer than a week. So we'll have to see. I'll be surprised if he's back next week, but perhaps he'll be back in time for like your fantasy playoffs and be back in a few weeks. So definitely keep your eye on Alex Edler if he gets dropped because he's, you know, on the top power play generally great for peripherals. You guys know what's going on with Alex Edler. In the meantime, on Vancouver, this opens up a spot on the top power play for a defenseman. Looks like Ben Hutton and Troy Stetcher have been seeing the biggest increase in deployment, both getting cracks on the top power play, also getting more ice time just overall. 
Ben Hutton has two assists in three games since the Edler injury. No power play points. Uh, Stetcher actually had a power play point on Thursday. I believe that when he wasn't on the top power play. So go figure. But I'm curious, though, Brian, like, are either of these uh, D-men piquing your interest in the short term while Edler is out? Vancouver actually has a great schedule next week. They play Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday. So they are a nice team to stream a player in, especially to get those Monday, Wednesday games when a lot of your players might be sitting on Tuesday because of a really packed schedule. Would you be looking to add either of these Vancouver defensemen? Yeah, I would. Let's look back to the last time Alex Edler was injured. That was a 15-game stretch in late October and carried through much of November. And in the 15 games that Edler was out, Ben Hutton had nine points, six of them coming on the power play. Derek Pouliot actually averaged more power play time on ice in that stretch than Ben Hutton, but did nothing at all with it. And Troy Stetcher wasn't even in the running for power play time. So looking at that and how the Canucks handled it just a couple months ago, uh, I think Ben Hutton is the ad here. Stetcher and Pouliot could see more time and maybe get a few more shots on goal as a result while Edler is out. But I consider Hutton to be the likeliest of the group to get a lift. And if you're looking to add a defenseman, he should be the one. Huh. Brian, did I make a mistake adding Brent Seabrook in my PHL league? Should I have added Ben Hutton? I don't think so, because Ben Hutton isn't big on peripherals, so Brent Seabrook is going to help you. Like, it, it depends on what you want to what you want to well, try and it. value, let's, right? Let's say I only cared about points. Anyways, we don't need to get too If you only it. care about points, yeah, I think you made a mistake. I would have preferred Ben Hutton. Well, I disagree. I think wow. that Seabrook is a lot more likely to get points than Ben Hutton, who maybe will get one here and there. But maybe you're wrong. You're right. He did do it before. And I don't know why I got into this argument for no reason. I'm just having fun. I drank this Red Bull. I have more energy now than I did at the start of the show. And I want to get a little combative. Let's see if we'll get combative about this next guy I want to talk about. Because the nice thing about the Canucks having a Monday-Wednesday schedule is that even if you need a D more than a forward, it doesn't matter. Because if you're streaming someone in, you definitely have room on Monday and Wednesday to stream in a forward or a D or any position. So maybe I should suggest that you pick up Josh Levo as your stream for next week. Sven Berchi is out with an undisclosed issue. Uh, could be related to his previous concussion. That would be my guess. So who knows how long he'll be out. And Levo has been, is Brian, is it Levo, by the way? It is, I'm, right? I'm looking it up now. All right, so you'll correct me. Everyone listening, you know that I'm not 100% sure. I think it's Josh <laughs> Levo. Okay, he's been seeing top line, top power play time with Brock Besser and Peterson, who I like to just call Patterson, but fine. We could call him Peterson because that's what he wants to be called. Either way, he's a stud. By the way, Besser and Peterson, two great guys to be playing with. And Levo is with them both on the top line and the top power play, just like Alex Chiasson. And Levo is doing well. He had a goal and two assists versus Chicago on Thursday. Scored a goal yesterday. Brian, how does Levo compare to the Chiasons and Kajulas and I guess Phil Danos of the world in terms of a potential short-term stream? Levo compares pretty well. I think he's also probably one of the most talented actually at hockey of that group. Um, I don't know that Levo's first or second wheels quite match, if we can call them that. Like his line mates quite match uh, Kajula's and Chiesons, but Besser and Pedersen, still great guys to have exposure to. So yeah, I like Levo a lot as a stream, especially with the off day schedule for Vancouver this week. So right now, I think I've got it ranked Levo, Kajula, Shiesan. Who do you like? Does that sound right to you? But wait, let's also get Phil Dano in there now that you've added. Oh, Dano, I don't, I don't even consider like these guys. The thing with Levo, Shiesan, and Kajula is they all seem like they might be temporary, whereas Dano seems to have right. been in his spot for a while and been producing consistently for a while. So I do think he's like in a bit of another class. 
than right, these guys until sense. they give us 10 straight games in the same spot, putting up reasonably consistent production. Okay, so moving forward, I'm not even going to ask you about Daniel. You'll let me know if we bring up a player that you think compares to Daniel. Well, if, if we get to someone that you say is higher than the number one, then we'll we'll bring him back in. So, okay, so you're saying, who did you have first, Levo? Yeah. Yeah, me too, especially if you're doing it right now, which I assume you are because you're listening to us in the present and not it's not like an old show from two weeks ago that you're finally catching up on. And let us know, by the way, if you like don't listen to Keeping Carlson episodes the week they come out. That would be interesting. Like, I, I wonder if the advice is still relevant. Uh, well, yeah, but Levo has a better schedule next week, so I think I'd go him. And also, I love the top line and top power play. That's what Kajula doesn't have. And Shaysun has it, but I feel like Levo maybe has a better chance of holding it. I guess there's, of course, Nikolai Goldobin, who sometimes gets a shot in that same spot. So something to watch. But yeah, I think I'll go Levo for now. Uh, so we agree. That's fun. I guess we won't argue about this one. Maybe about the next uh, question I ask you. Uh, we're on injuries. A tough break from Miko Koivu and the Wild. He's going to be out for the season after tearing the anterior cruciate ligament and meniscus in his right knee on Tuesday versus Buffalo after a collision with Tage Thompson. Koivu ends the season with 29 points in 48 games, which is not bad for a 35-year-old, right? Like, obviously, it's not the best he's done. I think he was even better last year, but still, he was somewhat fantasy-relevant at times. I really hope Miko Koivu will be back next season in the top six doing what he was doing before. So with him out, here were the lines yesterday for the Minnesota Wild. They were rolling Granlund with Parisi and Coyle, and then Zucker with Stahl and Jordan Greenway. And interestingly, while Zucker, Parise, and Granlin have been decent lately, and actually Granlin's been kind of hot and cold. He had a point streak, but before that, he was doing nothing. But overall, those guys are fine. Eric Stahl is actually the one who's been really quiet lately. He is pointless in his last four games. This brings Eric Stahl to just 37 points in 54 games. That's a 56-point pace, which is a far cry from his 76-point pace last season. And even his 65-point pace, or 65 points the year before when he first joined the Wild. So it's been three seasons with the Wild, 65, then 76, and 40-plus goals last year. And now this year, like I said, pacing for 56 points. Should Stahl owners be worried at this point? Do you think that Stahl is now the 56-point pace guy that he's trending as so far this season? Is that what you expect him to continue doing moving forward? Or do you think you could get he could get back to his 65-plus point pace from a couple seasons ago, maybe even his 75-plus point pace from last year? Like, which one is the real Eric Stahl, in your opinion, right now? So I was reading this article over at The Athletic by Mike Russo about Eric Stahl, where uh, Stahl entertained the notion that uh, Russo had suggested that Stahl has been letting his contract situation distract him to the point that it's affecting his play. And the the frame of the article was actually like Stahl had had a couple games where he was feeling comfortable. And he's like, yeah, like I just had to come to the realization that this thing has been nagging me. The fact that I don't have a contract for next year. And I like Stahl, like just remind everyone, He's only making three and a half million dollars this year. I mean, relatively only three and a half million dollars. What a bargain for Eric Saul, even if he's just giving you a 56 point pace. Um, so he's a UFA at season's end. And he was kind of saying, you know, like I, I was thinking about why I'm struggling. I think it's because I've been letting my contract situation get to me. And I, like now that I've realized this, I'm going to turn the corner. Um, so I'm not someone to tell Eric Stahl that he's wrong about the reasons why things aren't going well for him on the ice. Um, Like I I honestly don't see much worse in his numbers than we would have expected from a 34 year old player. Like we're seeing the usual decline in age, but like not by much, he's saving it off pretty well. Um, The one place where Eric Stahl's really struggling is on the power play. And that's where I would still expect some positive regression to kick in to get him a few more points there. 
But at the same time, um, we also need to reset our expectations. Like Elon, you asked, which Eric Stahl are we going to see? Last year's 76-point pace was not sustainable. So it's not a fair bar to be measuring Stahl against. Stahl scored on 30% of his shots on the power play last year, which is one big reason why he got all the way up to 76 points. I think that he is very capable of playing above a 60-point pace the rest of the way, unless, of course, he really just can't get past this contract thing. Okay, well, I mean, hopefully he can. This guy's a professional. You're still making enough money to pay for dinner after the game. So, I, yeah, well, I, I mean, to be fair, I don't think it's just a money issue. Like, it's his family. They like Minnesota. He might have to move. He doesn't want to. Yeah, I hate moving. It's true. Like, you have to pack everything into boxes. It's it's a real pain. So I, I get that, I guess. But I do have Eric Stahl on one of my fantasy teams. So I would very much like for him to bounce back. I think he probably will. He's in a good spot. He's a really good player. Uh, I definitely would like Brian do you think people should be trying to buy low at this point or it sounds like you're saying you only think he's around a 60 point player anyway so it's not as if you could get him for lower than that so actually forget I even asked the question let's go to our next injury Nick Bjugstad is hurt for the Penguins apparently he got hurt in yesterday's game we don't really know anything yet not much to say so maybe we'll check back in on Penguins lines next week also like maybe Malkin will be back by then so hard to weigh into the lines too much with this Bjugstad injury kind of too bad he just got they just acquired him so that'd be a bummer if he's out for any length of time uh but back to our third wheel rankings brian rust has been back on the top line with crosby and Gensel lately he had a goal and an assist yesterday versus tampa uh he had that really great run earlier in the season i think before he got injured if you recall we were talking about how you should probably add him in most leagues uh where does brian rust rank with the third wheels in your opinion right now maybe high for next week actually just because just like vancouver pittsburgh actually has a really nice schedule they play monday wednesday saturday sunday so even if you just want to grab brian rust for monday wednesday and then figure it out after that that wouldn't be the worst situation i'm actually very interested to know aside from where you put him in the overall rankings who do you like between rust and levo for just next week we already have levo number one so actually maybe it's both for next week and moving forward who do you like better it's really close between the two. Rust is right up there with Levo. I think I might lean Rust. Just I, We don't know uh, whether Bjorkstead will be back quickly or not, right? So maybe that's actually a reason to go Levo, except the, the Canucks have tried so many people out with Pedersen and or Besser, and it's been a, a regular revolving door there. So I think, uh, am I allowed to just say even, or do I have to choose one? Well, Brian, actually, I think that we should add one of them in our joint league. And unfortunately, I won't be able to just go log into Yahoo and click even on both. And they give me like the average of their points as much as I would like that. So we're okay. going to have to pick one. So what are we going to choose? I'm going to go Brian Rust and and take the risk that Nick Bjergstad uh, doesn't come back in well, the next if, little while. Yeah, Bjergstad actually yesterday before he got hurt wasn't playing on the top line. Like Rust was there the whole game regardless. But Bjergstad was playing with Kessel and someone else. So Right. Uh, another like little Penguins note, if you're looking to add a Penguin next week, and you might be because they have a pretty good schedule, Jared McCann, for as long as Evgeny Malkin is out, uh, I mean, it's not much, but he's playing with Patrick Hornqvist and Dominic Simone, who are like, it's like the line of third wheels. And McCann has uh, two goals on seven shots in his last two games, uh, seeing a bump in ice time as a Pittsburgh Penguin. So the, he could be an interesting guy to watch playing uh, in sort of a necessary, like a needed centerman's role for as long as Malkin's out. Of course, once Malkin's back, I imagine he will be no better than third line center and his minutes will go back down. Yeah, I mean, Jared McCann, you're going to have to be in a pretty deep league to convince me to to take him, especially if I could get someone like Levo or Rust, like we've been talking about. Uh, also, Patrick Hornquist. Oh, my God. Like, Ugh. he has no points. What is it, like eight, nine games now since Ugh. coming back from his injury? It's terrible. Like, not on the, you know, a good line. Like you said, he's playing with McCann and 
who even was it? Dominic Simone. So, yeah. and even when Malkin was there, he wasn't playing with Malkin. So yeah, it hasn't been great for Hornquist. Really tough guy to hold right now. He gives you your shots, but none of them are going in right now. And he's, yeah, a tough hold. Uh, let's move on. Okay, so that's it for injuries. Let's go to a bunch of line changes. I hyped that up at the beginning of the show. I wanted to talk about some teams that have been shifting things around. Let's see if anyone's landed in a really nice spot. And I want to start on Boston. They have bumped David Pasternak to play on line two with Krejci and Peter Selleric. While Danton Heinen has been playing on the top line with Barsha with Barshond. <laughs> That's their couple name, right? I'm not even going to correct myself. It's been Heinen and Barshond on line one. Then, like I said, uh, Pasternak with Krejci and Peter Sellerick. So I, I'm not going to ask you about Pasternak. Like, I know the obvious question might be like, oh, should we be worried about David Pasternak now being away from Bergeron and Marchand? But come on, like, he's fine. He's currently on a seven-game point streak. Uh, he's pacing for 98 points on the season. This guy is a stud. Remember that David Pasternak is only 22 years old. Like, he still might have another gear. Like, this guy is a superstar in the league, and I love him, and I have him on one of my fantasy teams, and I'm very happy that I do. I love you, David Pasternak. Play wherever you want. I have full confidence that you'll be fine. Let's look at the players who maybe are benefiting from this. I guess the options would be like Krejci and Selleric, who I hope I'm pronouncing. I'm probably not pronouncing his name right. C-E-H-L-A-R-I-K. Selleric, maybe. Or Chelaric, it could be. But anyway, so Krejci and Selleric, as I'm going to go with, uh, are playing with Pasternak. So that's got to be good for them. Then you've got Danton Heinen, like I said, playing on the top line. Uh, Krejci scored yesterday. He's three points in his last four games. He had a three-game pointless streak before that, but I'm obviously more into him playing with Pasternak. You got Danton Heinen. Goals in two straight games since this line switch. He had a goal and assist yesterday versus LA. Heinen's also getting second power play time, which he hasn't been seeing before these last couple of games. So really nice promotion for Danton Heinen. We, he's been good in short stretches. I remember last year there was a run where he was really good and then he completely disappeared. I kind of like this Danton Heinen situation. I might like... he's. He's going to be the next guy we're going to talk about in our third wheel situation. Right? We're going to have to rank him because playing with Bergeron and Marchand is a great spot. And it seems like he's producing. Uh, you got Selleric, or let me see in the chat room here. Patrick, help me. Selleric. Okay, I'm going to go with that. Selleric is someone I don't think we've ever talked about on the podcast. He only has one goal in his last seven games. So I don't think we really need to talk about him. Like, you know, normally I have to do my whole shtick. Who, Brian, who is Peter Selleric? But I mean, I feel like unless he does something, you probably don't want to add him, though. It is nice playing with Pasternak. Uh, by the way, Jake DeBrusque is still on the top power play, but it has been playing on line four with Chris Wagner and Sean Corrali. So he's, I guess, similar to Patrick Hornfist. So like, like Hornfist also playing with kind of nobody's even strength on the top power play, not doing anything with it. So, Brian, what do you think about these guys? I guess the main one I want to ask you about is Danton Heinen, right? Like, is he going to keep this up? Do you think he's going to stick on the top line? And is he someone that people should be rushing to add? This is like a third or fourth iteration of the Bruins trying to split their top lineup over this season and last, and it's never stuck for more than a handful of games, really. The third wheel on the top line also, uh, when they have tried it, has not been a guaranteed success. We all remember Anders Bjork. I also don't know that Danton Heinen is the right choice here, although... By right choice, I mean most deserving player, according to his offensive stats. Elon, maybe this is a fun question for us to consider, just to go off script a little bit, even though I did write this in my notes, so it's not totally off script, but off script for anybody listening, off our usual, anyway. Um, just ask what, the question. What do you think makes a player the right choice in this kind of third wheel position? Is it the guy in your top nine who is the most capable offensively to complement these guys? Or is it the guy who's least capable of making his own contributions and he's like the lengthiest coattails to produce, but someone the coach still wants to give good deployment to? Like who ends up in these positions? 
I mean, Brian, I'd, I'd imagine it's a case-by-case situation, right? It probably depends a lot on the other lines. I'd imagine a team wants to roll out more than one good line. Boston has looked like a one-line team for stretches, so it makes sense for them to try to spread it around. And Danton Heinen, I don't know, right, so far, two games, he's produced in both of them, so you can't argue with the results. And I don't know, but you're right. Like It doesn't necessarily mean that they think he's the third best player on the team or like the next best player after Pasternak, and that's why they're going to put him there. That's how they think the Lions should be shaken out. And yeah, I'm not going to argue. I think if they were doing it that way, I'm just going to, here's my hockey hipster take. Chris Wagner would be the next best choice. Like who's not Krejci, not Pasternak. They want to throw a top nine guy up on the top line because he's shown good offensive acumen. He'd be the guy I'd be interested to see there. But the Bruins for now have chosen Danton Heinen, uh, who is, yeah, it's very hard to ignore a guy playing with two thirds of what's been one of the best lines in hockey for the better part of the last several seasons. Um, but I'm not totally sold on Danton Heinen and his offensive ability. So I think I'd actually put him behind Kajula, uh, but ahead of Shiesan. Interesting. Okay. Levo was number one. So we're going to, and oh, and Rust, Rust was number one. So you've got Heinen way down on the list. You're going to take Rust and Levo ahead of Heinen and even your decision. And Kajula. Okay. So yeah. Makes sense. Uh, I, I don't know. I really like that Boston top line situation. Actually, Boston did play today also, and Heinen didn't get a point. It looks like Marshan scored an overtime goal assisted by Bergeron and Krug. I'd imagine Heinen wasn't even on the ice for that. And overall, not much for him, though. He did take four shots, uh, only 11 minutes and 33 seconds of ice time. So that's not good. But I did check. He was playing on the top line, according to Dauber's amazing latest game lines tool. Yes, I'll also add in that one of the reasons that I have Heinen further down on that list, like then Kajula, is just because like he and the Bruins, neither one has any historical example of this deployment actually lasting, right? Like if we're to go from previous examples, the Bruins are going to reunite their top line before too long. And if they don't, uh, who knows if Danton Heinen's the guy they choose to continue being up there. Yeah, that's true. If you're adding someone and hoping it'll last, like, especially for next week, like, I don't think Boston, let me get the weekly schedule up. Boston plays Tuesday, Friday, Saturday. So you're probably not going to fit Heinen in to your lineup on Tuesday. And I think there's a decent chance because maybe by the time Friday rolls around, maybe he's not even on the top line anymore. So don't add him now. If you're looking at pregame line combinations and you need someone for Friday, he might be a nice guy to add. Hey, you could always roll one of the, you know, Vancouver, like Levo or Rust Monday, Wednesday. Then you could switch to Heinen for Friday. Then you could go to Kajula uh, for Saturday and go- going into next week because Chicago doesn't have a good schedule. Like maybe you could move around and obviously you've got to check these uh, practice lines to make sure all of these guys are still holding their spot as the third wheel on their team's top lines. Uh, so Boston won today, Brian. Yaroslav Halak finally got a win. It seems like forever since Halak has had a good game. I was going to go into this episode asking you, is Halak officially the Bruins' backup? And I, I think I still will ask you that. Like, he won today. He had a good game. But it seems like he's only been getting back-to-backs lately. Like, long away are the days when he was getting starts when both goalies were fresh. And they just chose Yaroslav Halak because the Bruins thought he'd give them a better chance to win over Tuka Rask. Like, Rask has been outplaying Halak. And, yeah, if guys like, let's say, Brossois or Demang, whatever, if they're available for free agency, do you think that Yaroslav Halak can be streamed out as well at this point? Is he someone that you could drop if you have other backups available in free agency on good teams? Sadly, yes. I'm going to have to back off my game one playoff starter prediction that I made for Yaroslav Halak a little while back because it, it seems as though the seesaw has tipped back towards Tuka Rask. Rask has been excellent, and we need to acknowledge it, as I think we have been, but he's been a 937 goalie over his last 10 games, and Rask has also gone 12 games without a regulation loss. Halak, 
Meanwhile, it's just a 902 goalie in his last 10 games during which he's got a 500 record. So now what we watch for, and this is what I say every time we talk about the Bruins goalies, let's see what happens if Rask gets like a number one workhorse workload again and what that does to his numbers. Yeah, so definitely if you drop Halak, watch and as soon as Rask struggles, like Boston knows they have a capable goalie, even though Halak hasn't been that great lately. He was great today. It was against Colorado, which is a team that used to be like super scary to start against, but they've been struggling a lot lately. So we'll see how Halak does next time he plays like a really good team, a team in the playoffs, for example. But yeah, it definitely seems like it's Rask's net at the moment. Brian, I'm going to veer off script now in the actual way because I didn't want to talk about today's game of the Leafs versus the Rangers. But holy cow, the Rangers beat the Leafs 4-1. to one, And Alex Georgiev stopped 55 of 56 shots. The, the Leafs hammered him and he just stopped them all. That's insane. I wasn't expecting that. And Brian, this is so good for us. In our joint league, we were in this super tight matchup and our opponent is called Rubby's maple leafs the i guess the guys always called himself rubbies but he just for some reason figured out a way to get all the maple leafs this year clearly a leafs fan he literally has Tavares, marner uh who does he have he has like everyone okay this is probably boring content now because i'm blanking a cadre nylander and i think even one more guy so he's like rolling the leafs i was so scared like they played it's been a close matchup this week even though our team has been doing great just because the leafs had a great schedule they played four times and we needed the leafs to be quiet today and they did not for lack of trying john Tavares had eight shots on goal cadre had 12 shots on goal but nobody was able to beat alex georgiev except for kasperi kapanen with an unassisted goal so i don't know not a question just i think very interesting like what a crazy game who amongst us did not consider streaming in Alexander Georgiev today and thinking, oh, like that's that is going to go terribly. He hasn't been strong. He's against the Leafs. This is not what I need to help put my team over the top on a Sunday. And then boom, what a, what a game. That's like a that's a, one of a season high fantasy performance. It doesn't get much better than 55 saves on 56 shots yeah. and a win. Amazing. Uh, good for the Rangers. Good for Georgiev. I wonder if this earns him another sp- uh, start. He's the backup, right? But I feel like he deserves... So in the Kakupful, we give 0.35 points for a save. Georgiev got 19 and 0.25 Kakupful points today. That's insane. Like, I don't think I've seen a goalie get that many Kakupful points in a game so far this season. So uh, kudos. Good job. Uh, okay, next uh, line change. Uh, here's another interesting third wheeler for you. Did you know this is one that I didn't even realize until I was prepping? Michael Dal Cole has bumped Anthony Beauvillier from the Barzil-Bailey line over in Uniondale slash Brooklyn. So uh, that's another... I don't even know if, though, if we call the Barzal-Bailey line the top line on the Islanders. You might also say the Nelson-Lee-Eberly line is the top line. But either way, you got Michael Dalcole in what looks like a really nice spot. We've seen Anthony Beauvillier produce from that spot in the past. We've also seen Anthony Beauvillier do a lot of nothing from that spot, which I guess is a big reason why now he's down in the bottom six. Dalcole picked up an assist on a... Ugh, Josh Bailey goal yesterday, uh, which, you know, I dropped Josh Bailey, but whatever. Uh, Brian, anything to Michael Dalcole at this point in this spot? Like, who is Michael Dalcole? He's a name I remember. I remember back when we used to talk about all the Islanders prospects. I think Barzal was in that conversation. We would bring up Dalcole. Do you think he's good? Like, is this a guy with a great pedigree that we should expect to do well? Like, where are you going to rank him with the other third wheelers so far? 
Del Cole, if you're not familiar offhand, uh, you might be at least vaguely familiar because he was a fifth overall pick in the 2014 entry draft. Ha- happens to be the same one that both Danton Heinen and David Pasternak were drafted in. And Del Cole, uh, for a fifth overall pick, had a very, very pedestrian start to his pro career, scoring just about a half point per game for AHL Bridgeport uh, in his first two pro seasons. But this year, Del Cole had 28 points in 29 games to earn the call up to Long Island, with whom he's actually had very little opportunity in 19 games to date, most of which saw him on the ice for somewhere between 8 and 12 minutes while playing with Komarov and Phil Pula. So this is new territory for Del Cole to get a chance on the top line. And to be honest, I'm not really sure what to expect. This is the last year of Dal Cole's entry-level contract, so if he wants to make a case to stick and the Isles want to know what to do with him, uh, this is it, right? This is the right opportunity. And the nice thing, if you want to try and stream in Michael Dal Cole or if you're the Islanders wanting to see what he can offer, uh, it's not costing. Like, the Isles aren't losing a lot by moving Anthony Beauvillier off that top line. We haven't talked much about Beauvillier this season, even though he's had that deployment a lot, because there hasn't been much to say. Beauvillier has managed just 10 points in 520 five-on-five minutes playing with Barzal. Uh, That's the equivalent of 10 points in like 30, 35 games playing with Matt Barzal. So uh, wasn't working out. Why not try out Michael Dalcold and see what he can do? Uh, Elon, I have have no like no sense. Like I, I, there's no data, right? We haven't seen him perform in this deployment in the NHL yet. So I'm very curious to see. And in a deeper league, he's almost certainly available and yeah, worth, worth taking a shot on if you want to make it a really deep move on your lineup. Okay. So by the way, I think at, at times you said fifth round pick and other times fifth overall, pick. Oh, fifth, fifth overall. overall. Pick. Yeah. Fifth overall. All right. We've got to rank him. Right? Where is he going in our long list alongside Rustin, Levo, and Kajula and Shason? I already forget your order. So why don't you remind us of your order at this point? Uh, order is Rust, Levo, Kajula, Heinen, Shason, Dal Cole. Oh, Dal Cole at the bottom. I like uh, Shason better than you. Top line, top power play. Give him to me. But uh, I-, I take him third. I think. And yeah, Dal Cole at the bottom for now. Because like you said, we don't know what, what we're going to get. And he had an assist in his last game. That's the only thing we've seen from him. For the record, by the way, Bailey's goal yesterday was only a second point in his last six games. And he's still not on the top power play, which was the main reason why I was saying I'm not into Bailey anymore. So I'm still feeling good about having dropped him. Like every time I see him score a goal, it's like a little bit like Blech. But two points in his last six games, exactly what I would have expected. It's not like I thought he wasn't going to get any points for the rest of the season. Uh, so yeah, this podcast be- has turned into just Elon's vehicle to justify having dropped uh, Jason Josh, Bailey. Jason Josh Bailey. <laughs> he might as well be called Jason Bailey. It, that's how <laughs> irrelevant he is. Like, did we even make a bet on him? Like, I recall you said you still see him as a sixty-plus point guy. He's now down to only a fifty-nine point pace on the season, and I'm actually still expecting that to fall. What do you think? If we if we had to make a bet right now, plus or minus sixty points by the end of the year, where are you going? I'll go. Uh. uh. I mean, those Isles lines seem to be in flux often enough to make it really hard to figure out. No, they don't. Not for Bailey. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I I would have thought that he would have gotten at least another look at the top power play, and he hasn't. So I'm going to assume that uh, at this point, maybe it's just not going to come. So I I don't think it would be reasonable for me to say above 60 points without that top power play deployment. So let me just make sure my logic is correct here. So if you're saying that you don't think he'll be able to get above 60 points, that means that you think I made the right or wrong choice to drop him in my Well, that's hard to say because generally just because someone doesn't get to 60 points means that they're worth dropping. I can tell you the top team in Sweden, the current favorite to win, 
mm-hmm. owns Josh Bailey. Well, I would suggest if you want to really uh, give yourself a better <laughs> chance, you stream that guy out. Not only does he not get you more than 60 points, no shots, no hits, no blocks. This guy doesn't oh do anything. Oh, my God. Okay. okay. Next. Next. I see, Brian, you added Brock Nelson to your uh, you know, cupful team recently. He's been thriving lately. He's been so great on his line with Lee and Eberly, and he's getting the top power play deployment that used to belong to Josh Bailey. So Nelson has five points in his last four games. Brian, one more, one more thing. If Bailey had been available oh at the time that you added Brock Nelson, would you have added Bailey or Nelson? Probably. I think I would have gone Bailey, but it would have been hard. Like, cause I, I was only really looking to add them for one game. Yeah, Nelson's on a on a great roll right now, and in my opinion, he's in a better spot. Actually, okay. I would have gone. I, no, sorry, for one game, I would have gone Nelson. Longer term, I would have gone Bailey. Interesting. I, I think it's pretty close. Okay. If anything, actually, Brian, I should be asking you if you have any regrets about your couple Islanders drop from a couple weeks ago. As I noticed, you cut the cord with Ryan Pulak, who scored two goals yesterday versus Colorado, and he took eight shots. Did that hurt you inside? When you saw that, he also had an assist the game before versus New Jersey. He put up three assists a week ago in a game versus L.A. If you recall last season, Pulak also started really slow. He only had eight points through 28 games, but he actually ended the year with 24 points in 39 games, which led, obviously, a lot of people just like yourself to draft him this year, expecting him to keep that up. He didn't do it, but now he seems to be heating up again. Do you think this might be a repeat of last year, and he's going to once again be super fantasy relevant the rest of the way? Hard to say. Like, I, I maybe... His deployment still hasn't changed, though, and we've seen a couple random runs from Pulak so far this year. And also, last year, towards the end of the season, he sort of, like, was hot, and then he went cold for a while. And then in the last four or five weeks of the season, like, from March onwards, he picked it up again. So, I like, it's weird to think that somebody follows, a, like, a calendar trend when nothing else is changing. So that's why I'm, I'm, I'm just going with a, a hard maybe. Like, we know Ryan Pulak is capable of doing this, but he's going to need consistent opportunity, which he still isn't really getting. I guess. Like, he's getting the same opportunity that he had last year when he had that great run at the end of the year. I love the way he takes shots. I would be looking, I'd be suggesting for people if you need a defenseman. Like, who was I suggesting before? Like, Seabrook? I would take Pulak over Seabrook. I would like, yeah, for sure. Like, he's still definitely worth owning, more worth owning than when I dropped him, sadly. Elon, who would you prefer between Hutton and Pulak? Pulak. Oh, for sure. I'm not into Hutton at all. You're the one into Hutton. I take Seabrook over Hutton. Well, you asked me which Vancouver guy I liked. I know. But then I remember afterwards I asked you Hutton versus Seabrook and you said Hutton. Yeah. It's okay. Let's be friends for the rest of the episode, okay? <laughs> uh, okay, let's go to the Sabres. They've also been shaking things up. They landed yesterday on Jason Pominville back on the top line with Eichel and Skinner, while Sam Reinhardt has been bumped to the second line to play with Connor Sherry and Casey Middlestat. Uh, Buffalo played Winnipeg today, so I could get an update on what happened. Buffalo lost three to one, so maybe that's an indication that they're going to change things up by the time uh, the next game rolls around. The only goal they scored was Eichel, assisted by Darlene and Jeff Skinner, and those are obviously the top guys you want to own on this team. But what do you think about Sam Reinhart at this point? Should his owners be worried? Another pointless game. Uh, he had a pointless game also yesterday. Before that, he was on a great pace. He's having an amazing breakout season, right? He's up to 49 points in 55 games, like a 73-point pace. He picked up two assists away from Eichel versus Carolina on Thursday before doing nothing for these last couple of games. He was on the ice for a Connor Sherry goal versus Detroit yesterday for what it's worth. Anyway, yeah, what do you think about Sam Reinhart moving forward? Should we be worried? Like, do you think this is just going to be a short-term thing? And if it isn't a short-term thing, do you think that he's going to really slow down? I don't think Reinhardt owners need to be too worried, although I know that would be hard if you were a Reinhardt owner. But 
if you look at Reinhardt's on ice offensive rate stats, like goals four per 60 shot attempts, four per 60, um, Reinhardt's aren't really drastically worse when he's playing without Eichel compared to with like, yes, they're not quite as good as with Eichel and it's better to be playing with Eichel, but it's not like uh, we've brought up examples like how uh, Atkinson and Dubois perform with and without Panarin. And it's not nearly as drastic a difference for Reinhardt playing with or without Eichel. So maybe this is a good time to try and buy low on him. I know you can't expect quite as many points while he's away with Eichel, but you shouldn't expect him to drop so much. He's still got that time on that top power play unit to produce with Jack as well. Yeah, and also, like I said, uh, Buffalo lost today. Maybe they shift things around again. I can't imagine that Jason Palmerville is going to stick on that top. Like he actually, if you recall, Palmerville had that great run earlier in the season. What was it? Uh, he had seven goals and six assists in a seven-game stretch back in October when he was getting similar deployment. Though he was actually getting power play one time. Also during that stretch, he's not getting it right now. But are you going to recommend? Like I guess we got to let's rank Jason Palmerville with the rest of our third wheelers, keeping in mind, in my opinion, at least, I don't think he's going to stay there. I think he's the one that's going to fall off of his third wheel spot first. Yeah. And that's why I'll put him at the bottom of the list, maybe ahead of Del Cole. Yeah, actually. Yeah, you're right. Maybe Del Cole gets bumped before Denton Heinen or whatever. Who are we talking about? Jason Pominville. All the same. Actually, I like Heinen better. So I don't want to include him with those guys. I agree with you. Uh, okay, let's go. Oh, by the way, uh, the goaltending. Uh, it seems like Olmark has been getting the majority of the starts. Like they started Olmark on Thursday, even though he had played the previous game. Uh, Carter Hutton played today for his first time in a little while versus Winnipeg. And I guess he did okay. So the Jets won three to one and Carter Hutton stopped 26 of 28. So actually he had a really good game. So I guess probably we're back to seeing like uh, Olmark had a really bad game on Thursday, but then he was great yesterday versus Detroit, which is an easier team to play, I guess. And like Hutton had this great game against Winnipeg. So Brian, are we just looking at 50, 50, who knows which one is the goalie right now? I don't know. It still seems like I'll, like I'll, I'll just stick with what I said on the last episode, which is that Allmark has been the better goalie this year. So if that plays out, he'll get more starts. Yeah, I added Allmark in actually all of my leagues, like all in situation positions where I could drop him easily and it won't kill me. But right now I'm riding Allmark in all of my leagues. So I'm hoping that he can keep getting starts and hopefully play well. Better than those six goals against versus Columbus last Thursday. Okay, Brian, sp- Brian speaking of Columbus, uh, Seth Jones has been off the Columbus top power play for the last 10 games or so. I don't think people realize, I guess you wouldn't notice from his numbers because he has seven points in his last eight games, including four power play assists. So he's just helping that second power play get better. And it's not a bad second power play. By the way, you know, he's playing with like the Josh Andersons and the Boone Jenners of the world, like guys who are also on decent runs right now. But lately, uh, the top power play has been Panarin, Dubois, Atkinson, Nick Foligno, and Zach Wierenski. And Nick Foligno is someone who you mentioned earlier in the show. He's on this top power play, not doing much with it. He's pointless in four games now. Just one power play goal and one assist in seven games since I'm seeing he got on the top power play most recently. Uh, Also, Foligno hasn't gotten in on any of his line mates production he's playing on the second line with josh anderson and boone jenner josh anderson is on fire right now he has six points in his last six games and boone jenner has one goal and four assists in his last four games so i've just thrown a bunch of names at you so i guess here are my two questions about columbus first so should seth jones owners expect his production to slow down if he continues to not be on the top power play and second who would you rather have between say like anderson jenner and felino like that second line right now like anderson is the one on this amazing run he's also taking the most shots Felino gets the top power play so that helps him though he doesn't play with Seth Jones maybe you'll tell me that playing on the second power well no way playing on the non-Panarin power play is better that's just silly 
Also, just speaking of those three guys, I still, I love this line. Like, how amazing is it that all three of them throw so many hits? Like, these are like the three, t- three of the top hitting forwards in the league, and they all play on the same line. That's wild. Anyways, yeah, so those are my two questions. What do you think about Seth Jones, and who would you rather have from that second line? And I guess, I'm sure a lot of people are just wondering, is Josh Anderson going to keep this up? Okay, I'll start with Seth Jones, and you should absolutely expect a slowdown if he is not on the top power play. Also, just to clarify, Nick Foligno has been on that power play for most of the season. Um, When he was injured, he wasn't. It seems like Seth Jones' time came down when Foligno returned, but also Wierenski seemed to, like, his time was rising as Seth Jones' came down as well on that top power play unit. Um, But let's talk about Seth Jones without that like sure shot being on the top unit last season, Seth Jones had 24 power play points that got him up to a 60 point pace on the season. So you cut like, just cut those power play points in half. If he's playing a lesser power play role and you're looking at a 47 point player instead, that's a pretty big difference. We're also looking at a drop uh, as astute Seth Jones owners may already know in his relatively low shot totals so far this year. Last year, Seth Jones wowed us with 249 shots in 78 games. This year, he's on pace for almost 60 fewer shots in that same number of games. Big drop coming on the power play, actually, in his shot rate. So even when Seth Jones is seeing the top power play minutes, uh, he wasn't bombing away like he was last year, which is why Jones has yet to score a power play goal this season, even after finding Twine seven times with the man advantage last year. So it's not great all around for Seth Jones owners who thought they had a 60-point D-man on their hands. You've probably got a 45, 50-point guy, uh, which is still like great consolation. It's just unfortunate that he's not going to offer you quite as many shots or points if his power play one deployment continues the way it has so far this year, which is, well, when he's on it, he's not taking as many shots. And when he's, well, not when he's not on it, sometimes he's not on it. And then you asked me about the line that is like John Tortorella's wet dream, uh, throwing all those hits. Brian, do you mind? Do you mind, actually, if I just comment on the Seth Jones thing, thing quickly? Sure. Because it seems like you said, like, a pretty wild thing. Like, you said that you expect him to be on a, what, 45-point pace the rest of the way? Like, if he's not on the top power play? Wow. Yeah. Because he's currently on, a like, a 60-point pace, right? He has 34 points in 47 games. So it sounds to me like you're suggesting that Seth Jones owners should be selling high, like, ASAP. If they could get, like, a 55-point defenseman back for him or a, or a commensurate forward. So like, that's that's if he stays off the top power play unit, right? Like, we don't know that this is going to last. And, hey, maybe, maybe I'm being a little dramatic here and maybe we should say like a fit like well i did say 45 50 point pace okay so yeah. i think that's fair but yeah if if you think that seth jones is done for on the top power play if you have any inside info then yeah you probably want to sell him high we don't know that yet damn all right okay so on to the john tortorella's wet dream uh yes that i just said that <laughs> josh i felt weird saying it too uh josh anderson is the guy so you asked me about anderson um Felino and Jenner. So Jenner, we know, like seems to have this low ceiling. Felino seems to have the greatest deployment in the world and does nothing with it. So I will go Josh Anderson, who is producing reasonably well. I like his shot rates a lot. I like his uh, expected goals numbers. So that's why I prefer him of the three on that line. We have a patron. I think it's Zach. 
in the Facebook group was asking about Alex Tuck versus Josh Anderson. Like, should he drop Tuck for Anderson? And we've loved Tuck all season long. He's currently in a cold stretch, though. He's like, I think, pointless in five games, while Josh Anderson, like I said, is on this great run, taking all these shots. I kind of was like, but Zach always sort of is looking at the top free agents. So I feel like for him, it'll just be more fun to be able to uh, stream around different players. Like there always seems to be good options out there. So if you're in a shallow league, that's a move I would make. But but I'm just going to say, and I know we're not even talking about Vegas today, but I like Alex Tuck still. I think he's going to keep it up. But Josh Anderson, it sounds like you're saying you think this is going to be somewhat sustainable, like not a point per game guy, but someone who could keep putting up points or at least giving you all these shots. Yeah, I like I love the the way he put so many shots on net. So I'm going to say uh, that I mean he's just got 28 points in 54 games. That's not a high bar to clear. I know he's been doing better lately, and he had a slow start to the year. But to me, he seems like a pretty good guy. Uh, like if you want someone who's going to get you hits and shots and over a half point per game, great guy to have on your team. Agreed. Uh, but okay, you know, don't don't be so quick to give up on Alex Tuck. He's still on the line with Pacioretty and Paul Stassi. They're great. Okay. Uh, we talked about the Jets playing today. Guess what, Brian? They scored three goals. Want to try to guess how many points Patrick Laine had? Um, zero? Yeah, uh, easy guess, right? Though actually he did get an assist yesterday versus the Sens. That was his second point in his last eight games. Now give him two points in his last nine games. Both assists, no goals. Bad news for Patrick Laine. He's actually been bumped from the top power play for Jack Roslovich lately. So the hits keep on coming for Patrick Laine owners who were like, at least he's on the top power play. Nope. He's on the second line, not on a power. Like if it wasn't for his name being Patrick Laine, him being second overall, having this great year last year, I feel like most players would be saying to drop by now, right? Like he's not doing anything. His deployment keeps getting worse. He's got like Josh Bailey deployment basically at the moment. So uh, I don't know. We've uh, we've been talking about Laine like every week. So I just wanted to give that update that now he's been bumped from the top power play. Who knows how long that'll last. Uh, do you have any updates on your Patrick Line A take from last week? Or could, should we just tell people to go, if they want to know your opinion on Line A, just go and listen to everything you've said about him over the past few episodes. Yeah, I have nothing new to add. Being bummed from the top power play by Jack Roslovic is not a great thing to have on your resume if you're Patrick Liney. If anyone wants to share with us how they're surviving Liney in their lineups this year, feel free to tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Share your sob stories. Uh, we will empathize as best we can. One thing, like one angle I'm starting to take, Elon, is I'm wondering now, especially we saw Austin Matthews sign his new contract. Um, what does this season mean for Liney's restricted free agency this offseason? Like, what did the Jets offer? Is another team going to offer sheet for more? Although, like, that's pretending that any team ever offers sheets anyone. But it seems like a really interesting situation where, you know, Matthews signed a five-year contract. It wasn't the usual uh, bridge or super long-term deal that we've been seeing. I'm really curious. Like, and going into the season, we would have figured that they both signed comparable contracts. So I'm really, uh, really curious about that. That's going to be one of the best off-season storylines to follow, I think. Yeah, do you think him getting bumped from the top power play is just a way to negotiate getting that contract a little bit cheaper? Hey, man, if the, if the Jets can win with him in this deployment, then maybe that's the game they're playing, although there's no way that Liney is going to settle. Like, if anything, they'll bridge him on, like, a really affordable deal, and then he'll get paid on his next one. Yeah, I guess so. And by the way, you say, oh, hey, if the Jets are winning, they won today against the Sabres. They couldn't win yesterday against Anders Nilsson and the Ottawa Senators. Somehow yeah. the Sens beat them five to two. I'm, Brian, I'm so perplexed by Anders Nilsson. He's like my worst call of the year. Like he was so bad on the Canucks and then he got traded to the Sens. And I like so confidently said on the show, 
yeah, this guy sucks. And he's on like, I think a worse team, like no way Anders Nilsson's going to do anything, but like, look at me, big idiot Elon. He shut out Anaheim on Thursday for whatever that's worth. Then he stopped 44 of 46 versus the Jets yesterday. Currently as an Ottawa Senator, Anders Nilsson is six and four with a 937 save percentage. What? Meanwhile, Craig Anderson has lost four games in a row. And he could have started today. They went with Nilsson, even though it wasn't a back-to-back or anything like that. Are we looking at a timeshare moving forward? Or maybe even has Nilsson taken the number one job, at least for now? Should people be like rushing to grab Nilsson out of free agency if he's still there? Like if people have Craig Anderson in their lineups, is it time to drop him? Because at least before, remember he was like leading the league in saves at one point in the season and was also like having the most saves of any goalie like ever because he was playing so much and the Sens kept on letting in so many shots. Now you can't even count on Craig Anderson getting half the starts in a week because Anders Nilsson's doing so well. Yeah, this is like one of those situations where you are like, it looks all of a sudden like Anders Nilsson is an amazing goalie. He's not. You're rolling the dice every time you start him. And uh, they're coming up sevens lately. But you know it's just a matter of time before it's Snake Eyes. And it'll probably be the first game that you add him after. That's not to be, like, overly cynical. But you should be adding and playing Ottawa Senators goalies at your own risk. Interesting. And what's your take right now if you had to bet on who's going to get more starts for the rest of the season? Is it Nielsen or is it Anderson? I would guess Anderson. Although I I would say that the Sens won't have a whole lot of patience for uh, the goalie that's losing them too many games just based on what exactly would be at stake for the team uh, like public relations wise should they finish in a low enough position to give Colorado really great odds to win the lottery yeah oh man I was listening to the fantasy on ice podcast I think it was that one uh, and they were talking about how one of them did like one of those simulators where you just like sort of randomly simulate based on today's standings who's going to get which draft picks and he had it turn out that Colorado who's not in the playoffs right now, in the running for the first overall pick. They had Colorado getting first overall pick and then second overall pick from the Ottawa pick. Could you imagine if Colorado gets the first two picks in the draft and gets uh, Hughes and Kako? Like, uh, Capo Kako, I, I think. Kako yeah. Capo. I've, I mix the syllables yeah. often. Sorry. That would be. Has any team ever had the top two picks in the draft? I know the Sedins went, I think, <sighs> second and third. But I know that I know the answer to this. Let me see if I can figure it out while you talk about your next thing. Okay, let's go now to some more line changes. I guess ignore everything we said about the Panthers lines last last week. They've changed once again. In yesterday's 5-4 overtime win over the Capitals, they were rolling with Barkov, Broussard, and Dadanov. So Broussard line one. And then Trocek with Huberdeau and Vetrano. So Vetrano no longer in the bottom six. Not on the top line, but on this Trocek-Huberdeau line. And then Mike Hoffman was back on the third line with Sevier and Riley Sheehan. Though Florida did play today, so I could give you an update. They lost 5-4 to four to Tampa Bay. And in real time here, I'm going to take a look at the line combos. Oh, wait. Yeah, did I say they lost 5-2 to two to Tampa Bay? Not 5-4. to four. And hey, when a team loses 5-2, to two, I'm always wondering if they're going to switch up the lines yet again. So today they were going Barkov, Broussard, Dadanov, Vitrano, Trojan, Cupido. So same lines as they did yesterday. And so, yeah, like I said, so kind of forget it. You know, we were talking about, oh, Hoffman in the bottom six. Maybe that's not so great for him. Uh, or no, then he got back in the top six. We're like, that's good. Whatever. Okay. And also Vitrano. Is back. He's still rolling. He scored today. So I'm loving Frank Vitrano just as much as ever. Um, so whatever. I'm not going to read into these line combinations. I'm not even going to ask you about the lines, especially now they lost today. Maybe they'll change again. Instead, I want to throw one hot player and one cold player at you on the Panthers and get your takes on them. And they're guys we haven't talked about for a while. First, Aaron Ekblad. He had two assists yesterday. 
up to seven points in his last seven games going into today versus the Lightning. It looks like Ekblad didn't get a point today, but yeah, he's been on a really nice run. And if you recall, Brian, he had that nice 39-point rookie season, and we expected him to go up, and he never ended up getting hired. That is still his career high. This year, he is actually on pace to tie his career high. Do you think that he will be able to do it? Maybe do you think he could break it? Are you seeing anything in his PDO Corsi, as our friend Per Tornfist likes to say, to indicate that he's like a better player now and is on this run because he's playing better? Or do you think this is unsustainable production? No. Uh, the answer is the same. Like you've asked me this so many times over the years about Ekblad and Jacob Truba. I feel like these are two guys who you just keep waiting to blossom into these offensive players when I'm seeing nothing to suggest that they will. So nice little run from Ekblad as he is wont to do every so often, but this is not the sign of something new and sustainable in his scoring patterns. Hmm. Mind if I just ask, like, why do you say so? Like, what is it about? Like, what do you look at just really quickly? Like to see that, oh, you're not seeing anything different in what he's doing now. He's looking into these points, I guess. Yeah, like sometimes, you know, your like your IPP goes like hot, like you just happen to get involved on every goal scored while you're on the ice for a short period of time or a disproportionate number of goals scored while, while you're on the ice. And some of that you, so you might get because there are extra goals being scored because your teammates are sh- overshooting their usual shooting percentages. So, you know, I look to Ekblad his more like consistent numbers and see there hasn't really been much of a change and the amount of shots he takes personally or the amount of shots that are attempted while he's on the ice or in his expected goals rates. So when none of that's happening, I have no reason to think there's another player. Uh, like we're seeing a new side of a player. Interesting. I mean, I guess one thing I would say in Ekblad's favor that has changed recently is that second power play that he's on is pretty stacked, right? There's, it has Trocek, Vitrano, Broussard, and Borgstrom. So that's pretty good players for a second power play unit. They seem to be getting a decent amount of ice time, like it was 33 or 35% of today's game. So maybe that's a reason to expect a few more power play points from Ekblad moving forward. And it just seems like Florida overall is like has a lot of offensive players. So, but yeah, you're saying that don't expect him to like get seven points every seven games. Maybe he's still like a 40 point guy. It doesn't take much, right, for him to break his career high of 39 points no one's going to be shocked if he hits 40 42 points this year but you're not seeing like a potential 50 point guy moving forward fair okay uh cold on florida is actually vincent trocek who was pointless again today he had those first three games back which were great if you recall we, we were like drooling over him on the show he came back and did so well but he's actually pointless in five straight now uh, that or he was pointless in four straight before picking up an assist yesterday, but then again pointless today. Obviously, like I don't want to like go overboard here. Like Trocek is great. I'm not going to ask if you expect him to remain this cold. Like I still see him as like whatever a 60 plus point guy. But perhaps if we overrated him a touch, or if most people just thought of, think of him as better than he actually is, like he had that amazing 75 point season last year. But before that, his career high was just 54 points, and of course there was a big reason why he had that big jump in points last year. Like he got this brand new deployment. He was seeing top power play time for the first time ever. But keep in mind right now, he's not seeing top power play time. Like he's been on the second power play ever since he came back from injury for the most part. So maybe we shouldn't be expecting him to go back to being that 75 point guy that he was last year. Right now he has 19 points in 25 games on the season. That was going into today. That's a 60 point pace. Maybe that's what we should expect going forward. Or do you think he's going to get back to pacing for over 70 like he did last year? I think you've hit the nail on the head here, Elon, with Trocek. The difference between Trocek last season and any other season was that top power play deployment. Trocek had 27 power play points last season, more than twice his previous career high. And it came because of consistent top power play time and 
a 20% power play shooting percentage, which probably was not going to sustain regardless of whether Trocek kept seeing nonstop minutes on the top unit or not. I was actually looking back to our almanac, Elon, which I think we're going to do again this year. Well, uh, I don't know. We might have a little announcement to come shortly or not. In any case, uh, I was looking at our almanac projections and I had Trocek Elon at 75 points. You had him at 70. And I'm actually surprised. I would have thought it would have been the opposite um, because now I'm thinking without the top power play time and without that, what was an unsustainably high power play shooting percentage, Trotec is probably closer to like a 60, 65 point pace than either of those numbers. Give him that top power play uh, deployment though, and I'll put him at 65 rather than 60. Yeah, and if you see Trocek get back on the top power play, we've clearly been seeing that Florida is shaking things up. They have so many talented players, they don't have room to put all the guys who would be deserving of being on the top power play on most teams on this top power play. So don't expect it to last. I could see it just keeping on changing throughout the season. So keep that in mind. He's great. Like He helps you in all these other categories, so he's a really great guy to own in a multi-category league. But if he's a little bit overrated, that obviously means if you have him, maybe you can sell him for more than he's worth. So let us know what you have in mind. We'd love to answer your question on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. If you think of a potential trade you might want to make involving Trocek, we, we can let you know if we think it's worth it. And also for anybody on pins and needles wondering about the draft question, Elon asks any team. So there, like there was the Sedins, but that wasn't number one. Elon, do you know who was taken first overall in the Sedine draft? I do not recall off the top of my head. Okay, well, uh, I'm going to look that up. But in oh, the meantime... I thought you were going to say. <laughs> no, I, I don't... I, uh, I'm actually, I've got it now. Oh, man. It's, it's always the answer. Patrick Stefan in Atlanta. That was a mistake. So do you know, okay, what, look at this. This was a crazy draft in 1999. You had three teams who picked at least twice in the top 10. The Islanders had three top 10 picks. Who did they take? Tim Connolly. So that was like sort of a hit. Then he was a fifth overall, and then Taylor Pyatt and Branislav Meze. And like, who were some? Tell us some players they could have had that got drafted a little bit later. Um, Oleg Saprikin. Wow, this is a really weak draft. Uh, I'm still. I'm at twentieth. Twenty. Oh my god! Martin Havlat at twenty sixth. Oh okay. Go Sens! Great scouting back in the day. Uh, I guess the Canucks clearly won that draft. Uh, Henrik Zetterberg picked, and that was the draft where Zetterberg was picked. The the third and fourth, the best non-Sedine players from that draft were Zetterberg and Verbata, both, uh, like, in terms of career points, both drafted in the seventh round, 210th and 212th overall. So there you go. That's why, you know, like Chicago fans right now are like complaining that they're winning so much. They're like, they wanted to get a good draft. You know, these teams, when you're like, cheer, you know, you get mad when your team wins because you were expecting to be a rebuilder. That just goes to show you, uh, you never know with but these graphics. But this is different. I think definitely 20 years ago, there was a lot like less information available and a lot less data analysis being done. I think there was a lot more randomness or uncontrollable randomness in the draft. Whereas today, I think with like a really great analytics and scouting and drafting department for your front office, you've got a pretty good shot or or at least a better shot of nailing those early picks than any team did way back 20 years ago. Like you'd have to think that somebody would have spotted Henrik Zetterberg and drafted him before the seventh round. 
Yeah, for sure. But just keep in mind, like Matt Barzal was drafted uh, 16th overall, 2015. So, but obviously, yeah, overall, yes. generally, but, there's going to be outliers. Anyways, what was the answer was, to the question, Brian, about who was... <laughs> but he was team? passed over by Peter Tiarelli's scouting department. Well, he was passed over by a lot of teams' scouting yeah. departments. But 16th overall, like, is not, like, that. I think that's something you're saying. That's a, a good late pick now. That's a gem. Well, the uh, Brian, you did, the point I was saying is don't be so mad if the Chicago Blackhawks are winning games. Like, ugh, I'm, my, my team is so fun to watch, and they're winning oh. all these games. What a poop. Now we might not get first overall. You might still get a Matt Barzell if you draft well. So Maybe. Um, and it's Barzell, right? Didn't Barzal. someone ask us on Twitter why we always say Barzell? Yeah, I think I've been saying Barzal when I was talking about him before, but now I just got excited. Can we uh, so, get the answer to this question about who <laughs> to drafted first and second overall? So uh, Alex Alex in the chat has found a couple examples where Montreal did. Uh, it was in 1968 and 1970. Uh, in 68, they had the first, second, and third picks. In 1970, they had the first and second picks. Um, but since then, it has never happened. Man, isn't Montreal, like, weren't they always amazing? Like, how did they get these picks? So part of the reason they were always amazing was because they got first pick from all the Quebec-born players. Like, they had this sweetheart deal with the <laughs> league where it's like they had prior, like, there was, like, a mini draft at the start where they got to pick, like, their top, like, their top one or two Quebec-born choices. And then uh, then the rest of the league could join in. That's so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Should we put an asterisk beside all these cup wins now? Like, they don't deserve them. I mean, I'm gonna, we're, we're going to get a lot of hate from Habs fans now for me saying that. But I don't have it in front of me, but I'm pretty sure, you know, like Beliveau, Lafleur, Richard, like these guys, many of them came thanks to that rule. Okay, uh, let's uh, end the show with a lightning round. <laughs> Habs fans, yeah, you deserve all of your cups. They were amazing teams. It sounds like it was pretty easy to build an amazing team back then. Okay, <laughs> if you were the Habs. So, uh, a couple hot streaks. Uh, Jeff Carter is injured for the Kings. Obviously, no, he's not on a hot streak, but that has not bothered Tyler Toffoli one bit. Like, he lost his centerman, sure, but he's taken Jeff Carter's spot on the top power play, and Toffoli's probably on his best role that we've seen him in over the last few seasons. He's up to 10 points in his last nine games. Only one of those points actually even coming on the power play, so he's getting all these even-strength points playing with the likes of Nate Thompson and Brendan Leipzig. Like, go figure, just Tyler Toffoli turning it on. And this is a guy who we talked about I guess over a month ago now, how he was taking all these shots, nothing was gone in. Obviously, fortunes are turning for Tyler Toffoli. Brian, do you think he can keep this up? Is he like an obvious stream for as long as this run lasts? Like, if we were, he's not a third wheel. The opposite, he's like the best player on his line, at least how it looks. Uh, But would you have him ahead of all these guys we were talking about, even like a Philip Dano at this point? No, I don't think so. It's funny because we've been lauding Tyler Toffoli for like his high shot counts while not getting any shooting luck and saying like, he's due, it's going to happen. And then here he is. He he was due. He picked up four goals on 11 shots, but without Jeff Carter. And I don't think he's likely to keep this out, keep this up without Jeff Carter or even with Jeff Carter. So he makes a decent stream option, but that's still about it. I own both Toffoli and Dano on my Cupful team, and I'm probably looking at streaming out Toffoli first. Ooh, don't do it, Brian. Don't no. stream out Toffoli or Dano. Don't stream either of them. They'll no, both... if I stream out one of right. them, I was just trying to say, if I do, that's how the, to give you a sense of how I value these guys. That's fair. It's interesting. Dano, I guess, is in a better situation. Like, he's on a really good line, though he's not on the top power play. But Toffoli takes all those shots, and the couple, we give what, 0. 0.5 points for every shot on goals. If you need shots, Toffoli's reliable there, but Dano's been getting a lot of points. So I can see it going either way. The real name on LA, Toffoli's been great, but Andre Kopitar doing his classic second half thing, where he's sometimes slow in the first, like last year was an anomaly who was amazing all year through. 
through. But before that, we were used to seeing Kopitar slump to start the season and then be amazing in the second half. And he's doing it again this year. He's got 10 points in his last seven games. And Brian, don't look now. The Kings are 6-2-2 two, and two in their last 10. Only six points out of a wildcard spot going into today. I haven't seen the updated rankings. But the playoffs are definitely still in reach for this LA Kings team, which we were talking about being so, so terrible early on in the season. In fact, right, the West... It's straight up crazy. Like, uh, the, go again, like when I was preparing this morning, uh, the way I see the standings, there's five great teams that are for sure going to make the playoffs. You got Winnipeg, Nashville, Calgary, San Jose, Vegas. You know, good teams. Forget it, no one's catching those guys. Then, like, everyone else in the West is within 51 and 61 points. Like, not a huge difference between the next best team and the worst team in the whole thing, which is, by the way, of course, the Anaheim Ducks. But even the Ducks, like, are far from eliminated from the playoffs like if they were to go on a run and win nine of their next 10 games which is for sure not going to happen like they'd be right back in the playoff picture like literally every team is within a playoff spot like right now minnesota and st louis are holding wildcard spots in vancouver colorado arizona chicago all close behind like anyone can make the playoffs in the west right now which is crazy to me because we're pretty deep into the season brian want to make a prediction of who you think is going to get in in the west who are going to take these final three playoff spots uh be curious to know who you think I'm going to say Dallas holds on, St. Louis holds on, and Minnesota loses their spot to Vancouver. Oh, you know, okay, I'm going to agree with you on St. Louis. And by the way, Brian, how about that hot take we had from about a month ago when Bennington first came up? And the hot take was Jordan Bennington is going to take over the net. He's going to hold that job and he's going to lead the Blues into the playoffs. And at the time, the Blues were pretty far out. Well, not so far out of the playoff picture, but they were pretty far out. Now they're in a a wildcard spot and they're looking great. They had this game today where they played Jake Allen and Jake Allen was terrible. Like the Blues were able to pull off a win in overtime, but they were winning going into the third period yeah, it was three to one. And then Allen let the Nashville Predators get back into it. And then somehow like the Blues were able to score enough goals to get the win in the end. So we'll see if Jake Allen like ever plays again. Uh, by the way, Brian, I tweeted today, if you're feeling bad about yourself, just search on Twitter for the name Jake Allen. Like he's having a much worse time. Like every tweet is just talking about how garbage he is. It's really and funny. he actually, I mean, I didn't, I haven't yet seen the goals that he gave up today, but he stopped 40 of 44. Which yeah. And got the win against Nashville, which, like, yes, isn't great. It's better if you don't give up four goals on 44 shots, but still decent. Like, that's a 909 save percentage. I'm going to say, yeah, that's true. But I, I, from what I was reading, the goals he did let in were bad. But, yeah, I guess mm-hmm. people are going to focus on those and not on the saves. It's definitely Biddington's net going forward, aside from yeah. back-to-backs. Uh, I'm going to disagree on Vancouver. Give me Chicago. I'm going to go Chicago. Uh, maybe that's dumb. I don't know. Or Arizona. I still like Arizona. I know that you think that's crazy. I could see one of them getting in over Vancouver and over who was the team that we're bumping there at the end? Minnesota. Minnesota. I, or could, maybe just Minnesota. Uh, okay, I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to say Arizona. I, I don't know why. I just have this feeling. I like that team. But I like Chicago also right now. Okay, right. Let's end uh, the show by doing the opposite of what every other Canadian hockey podcast seems to do or most of them do. Let's check in on the Maple Leafs at the end of the show instead of at the start of the show, especially Andreas Janssen, currently somehow on a three-game goal streak with six points in that span. That was, of course, before today's game where, like I said, the Leafs t- took all those shots but weren't able to get the win over the Rangers. But yeah, Andreas Janssen getting all these points from the fourth line with Par Lindholm and Frederick Gauthier do we dare recommend people add him? Like clearly Andreas Janssen's percentage ownership on Yahoo is surging as anyone's d- seems to do when he goes up in points. But like, there's no way that he's going to be able to keep this up from the fourth line, right? Unless you want to suggest that maybe he's earned a promotion. Do you think maybe 
Kasperi Kapanen could maybe drop down the lineup and Andreas Janssen could take a spot. Like if you had Kasperi Kapanen on your fantasy team, would you drop him for Andreas Janssen? Like just want to get a, your opinion on uh, Janssen and this hot run and if you think he's going to have any chance of keeping it up. It's crazy that Andreas Janssen is doing this from the fourth line. The guy like who I have spent fab on repeatedly this year, streamed him in several times while he's in the top six. He's finally doing stuff from the fourth line. Uh, if you're wondering what to do with him, I feel like it's not sustainable from the fourth line. But I do feel like the next time Andres Janssen finds his way into the top six, he's going to hold on to that spot and not let go. I think he's got some great value ahead of him. So if you want to make a preemptive ad uh, with the thought that, yes, he is going to get better deployment, is going to play in the top six, then go ahead and do it. Worst that can happen is he doesn't get there and you drop him at the end of the week. Lord knows I've done that four or five times this year. Elon, another guy who actually, like, who Kapanen's up in the top six, the other guy up in the top six that maybe could be bummed is Zach Hyman, except he's doing so well lately. Two goals and four assists for six points in his last four games that was going into tonight's game. So there's been another game that I didn't count the stats in. But he had 12 shots in those four games, too. So he's a great guy to own as a depth add in leagues where uh, you get value because he's playing with some really fantastic line mates. Yeah, it's hard not to get points every once in a while when you're playing with, what is he with, Matthews? and No, no, I think he's with Marner and Tavares. Tavares, yeah. yeah insane. Okay, by the way, William Nylander scored yesterday. He now has seven points in his last seven going into today, so he didn't get a point today. Did we give bad advice about him when he was slumping? I kind of forget what we said. I feel like we didn't say to hold on and he'll be fine. I think that maybe at best we said that, you know, eventually he might get a better spot in the lineup and maybe he could be like a 60 or whatever point guy like he was the previous season. Interestingly, like he's getting all these points, not with Matthews, not with Tavares. He's on the Nazem Kadri line, but he's doing really well there. I'd imagine that's going to stick for a while. We were waiting for him to get back with Matthews, but turns out he didn't need it to get hot again. Nope, he didn't. Uh, The thing is that I don't know if he can keep doing this from the third line. It's great that he's with Nazem Kadri, But one thing that concerns me about William Nylander is that he's registered just a single shot on goal in four of his last five games. Again, going into Sunday night's game that I haven't uh, added the stats into yet. So I'm not sure that Nylander can consistently put up fantasy relevant production from this place in the lineup. But if you were patient and you have him way to go, and if you can uh, hold on and still be patient, then hold on and stay patient. Just uh, just be be aware that this is going to be a, a tough thing for him to do. Like if Nazem Kadri, like Nylander is probably, I don't know if he's more offensively gifted than Nazem Kadri, but if Nazem Kadri is barely fantasy relevant from the third line, uh, Nazem Kadri can't do a whole lot better than that. I mean, it's kind of weird how you're saying that people should be patient when he, like I said, is a point per game pace and Nazem Kadri is just as well, like over the past couple of weeks. But I think, I think we all get what you're saying, by the way, like, Nylander could have had points now. Like Nazem Kadri had 12 shots on goal, couldn't get anything by Alex Georgiev. I'd imagine in a typical game, I'd imagine Nylander passed it to Kadri for some of those shots and he would have get uh, an assist or two in a typical game if Kadri's going to be taking all those shots. So uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like it's a good line. Like they're getting decent minutes. It's not as if they're like a third line in that they barely play. Kadri played 19 minutes yesterday. That included five minutes of power play time. But Nylander played 15 minutes and 19 seconds with uh, half that on the power play from the second power play unit. So as far as even strength time, we're looking at 12 and a half minutes, which is a little bit less than the first two lines, but it's not like a huge drop. I think that 
this is not a typical third line. Clearly, like the Leafs are rolling a top nine and it's working out well for them, except for today when they couldn't score on Georgiev. But enough about that. Brian, how about we close out the show? This has been so fun. The time has just flown by. We've had some arguments. I hope we're still friends that we'll be able to do this all again next week. But yeah, thanks everyone for listening to us blabber about all of these players. Let us know what you thought about the show. We'd love to hear your thoughts, not only on like what you agree with, what you disagree with, but also just general thoughts about the show. We always want to get your feedback and we're always trying to improve. Of course. Okay, so you could tweet at us at Keeping Carlson to let us know. You could uh, email us, Keeping Carlson at gmail.com. I haven't thrown out that email in a while, but it exists. I don't, we don't check it as much as we check our Twitter. Of course, we're answering our Twitter every single day. If you like us, if you want to help us, you could do it for free. You could like do us this favor. It's great. You have the power as a listener to almost spend zero time and money and help us in a big way make us feel so good by giving us a five-star review on iTunes. So, you know, I don't know just And write a comment with that review. Yeah, be nice. I mean, we would One sentence. You're already doing us a huge favor by listening like two hours in to our you know, humble podcast. But if you wanted to go ahead and help us on iTunes, we'd appreciate it. You could also sign up to be a patron of Keeping Carlson over on Patreon, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. We try our best to give value for your $5 a month that you throw at us. We're going to give you access to our patron-only Facebook group where I'm there every day answering questions. Brian is there almost every day. we got like a million patrons. Not a million. I mean, now I'm overselling it. But like we have a lot of people there giving advice, trying to help each other out. You can feel free to ask any fantasy question you want, and we're going to try to help you get through your fantasy trade deadline and into the playoffs. So there's other perks as well. You can check it all out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. With that, Brian, let's cue the outro music. And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our newest one, Lenny S., who has a funny Patreon icon. His like avatar is the Senator's logo, but instead of the Senator in the middle of it, it's Squidward from SpongeBob. I feel like there's this meaning to Squidward that I don't quite get. Do you know it? I'm sure yes, Barry Cock in the Emmy knows it because he's a millennial, but we don't know this stuff. Okay, well, Lenny, let us know. Uh, and also welcome Alex as a patron. We really appreciate it. Again, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Uh, this episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, NHL Names, and Yahoo! Thanks, Brian. Great job, as always. Good luck to everyone in your fantasy weeks next week. Let us know which of these third wheels you streamed in and if it worked out for you. And we will talk to you all in a week. You can join us at keepingcarlson.com slash live every single week, 8 p.m. on Sundays. Can't wait to see you there. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson. We're still waiting to come back. What is this, an illness? Illnesses aren't supposed to take so long. But okay, hopefully next week we'll be able to talk about an out jury for Eric Carlson. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.